Welcome to Cowhorse, Full Contact by Ben Self, with host Chris Dawson and Russell Dilday. This episode brought to you by RPX Enterprises. And also, this episode is brought to you by Arena Works. Yeah, you've got bones coming out the side of your leg. Why well, you gotta have the, you gotta have a little relief? Relief. You gotta have a little relief. <laughs> yeah, that was. So, what did you think right there when he took that little tumble the other night? Well, it was frightening for a minute because I I was home watching it on the computer and oh, you we weren't have, here? No, we have a big screen. He had that wreck, and then of course. They blanket, you know, the black screen all of a sudden. Sure. Oh. And you don't know what's going so on. I don't oh. know. I seen him fall, and I seen him thrashing around, you know, trying to get up. But <laughs> like a baby seal on land. <laughs> yeah, a little turtle on his back, you know. He's, And the horse was kind of struggling a little. It was a pretty good wreck. What slam dunked him, and then he hit his what really is his right shoulder and yeah. the side of his head hit. You know how it does. And well, and his like his sleeve he, was tore yeah, open, was so bleeding. I knew he did a little road rash. Yeah, he was bleeding off his elbow. Yeah. And then when we picked him up, he had his shoulder around me or his arm around me, and he, we got. And he said, nope, that's about enough yeah, of that. Turn loose of that right arm. Yeah, they, so. uh, that's how you. When I tore my arm off, which is you know about five surgeries on it and a lot of time in the hospital with it and uh, but when i was laying there i just said roll me over and get me up i'm all right well <laughs> i was bleeding like hell internally and this was like tore all to heck and you don't you but you mentally you think boy let me up yeah well that's what he said he got there he says hey and, get me the heck out of here well that medic got there just about that time she said just you're all right whoa, whoa, just whoa. a minute if he's yeah. if you're still sitting down I mean, right. They said he was a little goofy, tipsy, a little a bit. A little, yeah. Yeah, yeah not but terrible. not terrible. No. But he like, really wasn't terrible. I they went to asking him a couple of questions, and. It, yeah, yeah, no, he was. He wasn't bad. He was pretty good right there. Yeah, his girlfriend changed the bandage last night. It swelled up a little, but not real bad. They had a jello cast on it, and a, mm. then an ace bandage and get him home. There was a kid, a young guy, I don't know who that was, on his foot. And they said something about take the boot off, and he was trying to be real easy and stuff. And I'm thinking, hey, that's got to come off, and it's going to hurt if you pull easy and it don't come off, and it's going to hurt when you just take it off. So yeah, well, he, was, he was going, don't pull them toes back to me. Yeah, right, right. Don't pull them toes back to me. <laughs> hey, that's that's enough of them toes back to me. You yeah, know, pull them toes away, away. <laughs> <laughs> So, in case people aren't following what we're talking about, uh, our man Randy Paul, he went down to Bridal uh, Bridal Spectacular the other night, and we've got his dad in here with us, Mr. Jim Paul, and uh, so we just kind of jumped right into this. Yeah. So, welcome to Cat Wars Full Contact. Yeah, and it was Full Contact. It's our new intro. Yeah. It's our new intro. (laughs) I didn't even see him go down. How did he go down? Did you see him? Oh. He made, uh, I'd say, a decent first turn. Yep. He was sitting like if he could have marked 18 or something. Yeah, he was, he was going to be second or yeah. anyone. I, was, I knew he was up there. And uh, the horse turned. He, they played it back in slow motion, and the horse turned really hard and come up out of that on the right side of the cow. And uh, he just reached for the ground, got his feet behind, missed oh. the ground, and the lid on his knees and then his head. And it then he road rashed his and forehead. And he tried too. to, yeah, he mm. did. And then he tried to get back up, but he couldn't. And then he went on down. And 
Lucky he was only about two strides out of that turn. Otherwise, I think he'd had enough momentum that it would have come on over the top of him because he fell in such a manner that he should have kind of tea-kettled him right there. Yeah, could have. Saddlehorn could have yeah. caused him a lot of trouble. Damage. He lit. He lit all right for the wreck he was in. You know. Yeah. Well, he's like a cat. He could have been worse. Could like have been a, a lot cat. worse. Yeah. Could have been said, like. A, he could have been I, you. He said I was pushing away. I could feel all this crap coming, but he said way too late. It was right. Just. <laughs> well, it's always a scary deal when you get out there. I mean, shoot, we have wrecks, you know, and there are none of us that are into a not exactly the NFL where you get a little bump and you lay out there. And, Get your TV time. You know what I mean. Like we're, you're like, get your butt up and get out of the arena now. Soccer. And when he was still laying there, when I got to him, I was like, I was like, uh oh. Well, a fall like that is bad enough. But I think when they make those turns and they come off that fence and they try to go to the center and those horses' feet just cup out. Yes. Those are you can't get away. And those are the horses throw you away or something and. Uh, I hear a guy say, oh, well, I, I knew it was coming, so I pushed myself away and I got away. Well, they're pretty athletic because the falls I've ever had, the horse just saved you. I mean, pitched you out there. Yeah, you didn't you. Squished. Yeah. yeah. And, the, fast, uh, the faster them wrecks happen, the better usually. I mean, like when you get yeah. that where you don't have much momentum, that's where it leaves you in the middle of that wreck. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So he was lucky to a point and could have been worse. Mm-hmm. Could have been worse. Could, could have, have got on him. Or could have not fell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, could have not fell. But it caused a lot of excitement. Yeah, I know. He got, yeah. It's memorable. You know what I always... I always it's I always, better than just kicking out. I always no say zero, zero, sixties, and seventies all pay the same. Them zeros and sixties usually have a good story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance Johnson, you know, he got kind of slammed against the wall when his horse fell and yeah that's a bad place to be did you see um aaron tormino's wreck no I that, was, that was the worst wreck that wasn't a wreck i know ever i mean like it scared it scared me maybe as much or more than randy's but she didn't even go down what happened oh it didn't go clear down no she's running down this fence for her first turn and man that horse makes a move and i don't know if he catches front foot or what but i'm talking about he doesn't but he i just, watched it he stuck his feet like he reached way out in front of him and somehow, even with his feet out that far, they knuckled. Yeah. And then he went over the top of them and, and, and like drug his, on his face head. down through there. I think at I full did speed. see that. And she stayed on that horse yeah. somehow. And, and right at the end, she threw her hands up because yeah. she thought she was going to hit the fence. And then he stood up. I did hey, see I that. Thought, I that was thought that exciting. Horse, I really thought that horse was going to push her through that fence. Like, you know, them old Play Doh. Cutters, yeah. where you push the play-doh through and it yeah. made a noodle. I thought that's what Aaron was going to look like on the backside of that fence. <laughs> I mean, I, wow. I mean, I was holding the horse to Shewers and I saw that one on the phone, well, and I about pulled that horse I'll tell over you, the top. Lewis of that almost horse. looked like that. In this oh coward. my God! Wowza! Boy, he hit this fence down here at that gate, and I, he was thank like, you, Wall, loose from his horse. Yeah, thank you, Wall. They Saw made us so- hello, Wall. <laughs> <laughs> but that was pretty exciting cow that was exciting it was a lot of carnage out there in that open bridle class hey there was a lot of speed in that open bridle class holy mackerel those things ran big if it works i'm telling you yeah yeah you can work i fell down this is the only arena i ever fell down on slider in in this arena yeah i crashed right in that outgate right over there and so in the open bridle i'm not very good 
in the rain work again. And so I'm making ground and I'm first and I go a little early. And I hit you, that you, wall when you say you corner. went early, you mean that not that you drew early, but that both. You, oh, both you drew I was early. first. Oh, you were first. First, and so, and so like I that means like you like smelled that cow turn one time and went down the fence. <laughs> I went. Yeah, I had to go, and I hit that wall down there, and I thought oh, I'm gonna pile up again in the same spot, <laughs> but I didn't. I did. <laughs> that was lucky. Brad but Buttery, I did smear that wall. Brad Buttery one year had a hell of a fall down here at this that end under he went under the, his head and shoulders went under the gate. Oh jeez. Mm. Yeah, mm. and the Palomino horse just run down there and the cow and he, he thought he had it checked and it, the horse checked a little bit and Brad was continuing <laughs> and that horse felt him I guess and kinda just took a just a little bit of a dart off there and just drilled him. Oh, oh, we once we found out he wasn't hurt, we it was a comical. <laughs> it was pretty comical because his rear end stuck in the air and his feet kicking and his rest of him's under the gate. And it's pretty good, like a duck underwater. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's the daylight out there because I t- I mean I had a pretty I, I didn't get in a wreck, but my cow got in a wreck right there above that brother Jackson sign the other day in the go around. Oh. I've showed here before they had a top on this thing that's a few days ago and both ends were open there was no and the wall over here was open <laughs> and they had a couple arenas outside and that's 30 some years ago I guess or longer and when you like after 3 o'clock and that sun just started down there and uh. the cattle would be down here boxing You'd look up, sometimes you could see them, and sometimes you couldn't. I mean, the sun was just, yeah. and a yeah. lot of times, about five, they would stop the class and then have it. And I've worked, when I was, thought I was a horse trainer, I worked a lot of cattle in this arena. And I swear, you very seldom got good works in this arena. The cattle were just hard to handle in here. I don't know why. It's mm. because it was opened up. Now everything's closed and climate, you know, climate controlled and stuff. And they're still hard to work in here. And I think once they get going down there, if you're not shaped halfway, you're not shaped to turn one when you hit that halfway marker. Yeah. And you go a little further, and they see yeah. that end, and they yep. they lean on you a little. They somehow they pick up speed. I really felt like same thing, Jim. Like after going you don't want to try to go to the end of this pen no you want to go past that middle marker and go put that and put it on, on them right there because the, and they say well no then you get a short turn mm-hmm. back who cares who cares <laughs> baron waller in the prelims i went and turned one and had a really good score and then in the finals i, I don't know what i was doing i was going so fast i think that i was trying to be a tight turn well i got farther down there and that cow just would not give they it change. up. They lean they on change. you a little yeah. when they're coming around there, and things change. And It changed big. And I try to tell people, of course, they don't listen to an old man too much, but I tell them, you know, you better be shaped to turn it when you hit center. If you got to go further and then start gaining on the cow yeah. and shaping up. Then start, you're in trouble. You're, well, 90% of the time 90%, yeah. And even a lot of the runs the ones that did go ahead and go long and get them turned it's that kind of turn where you just kind of squish down to a stop you don't really <laughs> run by and whack it's no. just like you're just pinching them down well, Corey last night on hot hot rod or whatever his name is that hot, yeah 
they know that's an awfully good horse. And he goes down there, and he went a long ways down there. A horse hit that ground, come around, and he just sits down like a little dog for a second. It was unreal. And then yeah. he had a little trouble, and he lost control of his cow for yeah. a stride or two. And then gained, and that's why he marked a 19. It was, then everything will fit, but After, he went yeah. too far. Yeah, he missed a little bit, but that, that was incredible what that horse did. I mean, he went down. I watched it on the replay. It was so impressive. I went and watched it again. And that horse gets all the weight like, on the ground. And then somehow, he's, it's like, you're just like you say, he's sitting there like a dog. You're thinking, oh, he's stuck. He's not coming. <laughs> and then, boom, out of there he comes and, he and gathers it up. And he did. It was unreal. But oh, yeah. Well, he's a special horse. He's, he can do some, you know, he's strong and he can do stuff. Do stuff, yeah. Yeah, some that was good watching. Really good watching. Fun, fun pin. And this pin, you like you said, Jim, you can turn that, and who cares about a short turn coming back the other way? But this pin's so long, it's really not a short turn. No, that's right. You see, you, they say, well, he didn't come, you know, get behind a cow and chase it down to this end for the textbook deal. You turn a cow when you're there. Don't right, you think? Right, right, right. You got to turn him with there. When you're there. And You'll lose the purity of the, of the control. That yes. cow will start feeling like he... You get up there sometimes on them cows, and then they don't you feel like Jim? They start thinking, Hey, I'm the boss. Well, they are. If you pull and up, they chase are. It. Yep, <laughs> I'm the so boss. I think it's and then, then uh, I was proud of the judges a little bit. They didn't place those horses real high that made a delicious left turn down here and they come down for their right turn and then they loop way Did the out loop and around thing, yep. and they circle. Yep. And that's why Benny and I got fired. We fought that tooth and nail. And yep. they said, no, if they bend the cow to go the other way, it's a turn. I said, well, wait a minute. Then every time he circles the cow, he's turning it. Uh, he's having a fence turn. Boy, yeah. Crap. Yep. So we fought it and we, he said, we're argumentative. Well, you are. So, <laughs> But you're entitled to it. You're, but you're entitled to it at your age. Yeah, well, you know that you showed enough yes. in the olden days when if you come off the fence, you weren't going to win much. Yeah. Mm -mm. Well, and I do feel like it's evolved a little to where maybe now they're giving it as a turn, but they're but it's not a plus turn. No, it's, it's, it's 65 or up, yeah, 60 yeah, in there, yeah. I think. And it's not much. And Benny said, well, I'm hitting them five points. Bill says, you can't do that. He says, well, it's not a fence turn. Oh, so the fight was on, and of course we lost. But he had, he had well, the pencil, so. Right. But He did say in his last school, he said, listen, he's like, if they're off the fence, something happened. They didn't go out there wrong. with the intention to be off the fence. So something went awry somewhere if you're not Probably up both of you might be a little too young to even know have heard of Ray Hackworth, which was a great, great horse. I read his book. And <laughs> <laughs> so Benny's like sixteen and I'm like eighteen or something. We were a few years apart, but he Ray Hackworth had a way and he rode them fiddle Dior and some just some great cow horses in the spade bit old days and he so Benny says, how do you get, how come your horses are so good down the fence? And he says, well, he said, I'm watching young people. And he says, when you go down the fence, Benny, he says, your horse is raining right. He said, just so very lightly pick them. And his hand gestures make you laugh. He said, so very lightly pick them up in the turn so you come out on the proper side of the cow. And the reins can still be loose. Just make sure you follow the horse through that turn and you have to pick him up a little. 
those horses just clamped their mouth. I watched last night of quite a few of those horses kept their mouth shut. And that's another thing I argued with think about, and Benny and I do. Doug Williamson almost got fired over it because those horses that were working and they go to pulling on them and fighting with their heads and they're gapping and their heads are out of that good position they started with, it goes away. I never, I, I take that as a... Negative. A kind of a personal insult to me. The horse is, <laughs> he's out of the bridle to me. So, uh, but well, most, well, of, them, most of them stayed right there. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. It really has gotten better. You know, I showed I, that I showed that sorrel horse in the bridle, in the bridle class the other day, and he felt pretty darn good. Like I mean, felt like he steered everywhere. Well, I went back there and watched my video. I was like, hey, yeah, that was some. I was personally Ick. insulted by the appearance <laughs> of some of it. So I tried, I, I tried me a different bridle for the spectacular. It worked a little better. I watched him and Randy one year at the, at the, you probably forgot, at the, I was watching on the tube at home, and I, I see them. They're doing their herd work. Well, and I thought, I wonder, they both looked like they had hemorrhoid problems. Or something. <laughs> they're leaned way over their horse, and they're pulling down by their knees, turning and doing, and I thought, boy. I didn't teach that kid that crap, you know. I don't know where he picked this stuff. So I called Randy up after the class, and I said, Randy, find that Chris, and you go tell him to try next time on his next horse, keep his hands up over the saddle a little bit and his hands close together and just pull that horse over, his, over your pockets and keep him on his ass, you know, a little bit, so... I guess he found you, <laughs> and uh, you called me later and said thank you yeah. because the horses just they moved better, right? Because you weren't, you know, <laughs> in that pushing them forward mode. You know, you're in there. Let's stay back here on your butt, kind of. Preparation H lost a couple of customers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, it is a guy can get in a trap. You can get in a habit doing funny things. And sometimes somebody will see it. Never know you're in there. And it helps. Yeah. No, that's it. And like I say, every Lord knows, uh, I need all the guidance I can get. <laughs> One year there. I showed uh, a Hackamore horse here. And he was a pretty good little horse. And uh, the first day, it was a sun circuit. And you had like two or three runs in a cow horse every other day or something. And he was pretty good, so I was pretty cocky. And Benny says, boy, you had a neat turn out in the middle. And he, he did. He turned the cow good and all. And so the next time I get the next cow, the next guy running out through there, and I am boxed it, and I come off, and he come off the wall. I was a little out of position probably, and I, he, he it was pretty rank old Mexican cattle. Uh-huh. Weighed about seven. I mean, they were healthy. Come out there, and I'm trying to run around it to put it back, and I find myself... And I started laughing at myself. I'm pulling as hard as anybody <laughs> in the world can. And this horse don't get out of the hackamore. He stays right here and just gets heavier. And I'm thinking, and I'm not gaining a stride. going really fast. And I'm thinking, somebody on the rail holler, throw his head loose, leave him alone. And I dropped his head, and he finally got some feel back in him. He got through it. But I, it's funny how you will do dumb things like that. I'm Constantly. Telling you, I'm telling you, you lock on them. You know, it might go bad if you turn them loose, but if you lock on their heads, you know it's, gonna it's go going to go bad. It's going. That's what I told bad. my non-pro here at this horse show. I was like, listen, I know it's going to feel bad out there, but if you lock on, it's going to feel worse. 
what she does. Did, she didn't is, listen. Uh, and so you get, you know, you get a little panic spell strikes and you do funny things. I think the reason Dima won so much in the few years that we had success was the fact that when she got in a trouble, the horses, the cattle were a little rough. Her horses were broke good enough that she could pick them up any place and they'd come over their hawk and, and they didn't pull on her. And she trusted them. Well, yeah, you got to to a yeah. point, but and that's so uh, Harold Fern and <laughs> Jimmy Williams and those people. They told me that two things you'll learn: <coughs> it takes two to pull, and you pull, and he pulls harder than you, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. They, if they give to you a little bit, you can get by. And I always thought that's pretty good advice. Takes two to pull. I heard that a lot, but. Yeah sure goes away when the heat of battle is going on. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, when, well, they started it. <laughs> <laughs> when Jimmy, of course, you know, he passed away, of course, but he he's very strong, big kid and very strong. And his horses were very light, very light. He had a lot of fit, but he rode with Tony Amarillo and mm. Don Dodge and Shorty Freeman. I mean, he wasn't around dummies, you know, so. And I try to tell young kids, hang around the winners. Don't go up there and hang around him because you'll be just like a just like <laughs> birds of a feather. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, say, I heard uh, sit with the winners. The conversation is different. Yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah. My dad used it's to fun. say, uh, "If you run, if a good dog runs with uh, chicken killing coyotes, he gets killed just like the coyotes." <laughs> Don't run with them bad dogs. <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly, and it's true. And I always tried to be around as many of those guys that, you know, were, were the best at it and hoped some little bit would rub off. Yeah, sure. And now you're them. No, <laughs> I wish I was. But I have fun, and uh, I try to, when somebody asks a question, I try to answer it intelligently so but a lot of times they just don't get the message you know, Dima will say Dima will say that is a nice boy and he's got such nice horses but he just don't get it <laughs> well they say his head's in his right place and his heart's in the right place but uh, his head's up his butt yeah. <laughs> well it's yes <laughs> And it's, uh, you just got to go to the, you know, I had such good horses that I bought from Don Dodge and Matlock Rose. And those guys, they were broke. And I didn't know, sick them about a cutting horse. and But I'd had some good cow horses and quarter horsey, reining horse kind of things. And those horses, you learn so much. And they ride on your case constantly you know so you just it kind of eliminates mistakes as you get more involved in it first time i rode benita's sand i gave a lot of money for him and i right there took the meat right off of my chin right down here from right off his pole when he turned holy jesus and i rode some saddle broncs when i was younger and stuff and i tell you i've never had one like that boy what an explosive hard turns but after you knew it was coming, it was, all, everything was smooth. But right over that Don Dodge Lean back. Was, yeah. Maybe you ought to keep your feet out in front of you. Front of your shoulders. <laughs> so, but I like Martin Zettles. Yeah, <laughs> I don't block them. That's right. That's right. 
but you, you figure it out later. But <coughs> when you're around those kind of people and they'll have those kind of horses, you can learn something. Fewer bad habits approached. <laughs> but still, bad habits. <laughs> There's one way to break them. Split you know, what, what I see with some pretty good kids, pretty good young trainers, is that they ride by themselves at home a lot, and that's where you pick up little funny bad, bad habits. habits. Yes, <clears throat> you know, and your wife comes by and says, "Oh, your horse looks nice," and you think, "Boy, he does." You know, you're not looking at me when you said that. I'll guarantee you. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> well, me either. Dima always had some suggestions, and uh, it they just don't. They don't, then you think your horse is really feeling good at home, so you go to a little show somewhere, a little quarter horse show, tune him up or something, and you look around and say, Jesus Christ, I'm not even going to show my mind's done. He ain't right. <laughs> so, and, you, and you know that if you stay in that, up in that higher plateau of good horses, you usually will be in that plateau or close to it. Sure. No, yeah, you got to be around him. Like I said, don't, you can't avoid the wolf den. You got to get in there and find out. And, mm be duking it out and making sure i i know i i tell folks around us that it's like uh rising tides lift all boats you know what i mean we gotta everybody the better everybody around you gets the better you'll be yourself you know and so like it's not it, counterproductive to help your opponents you. yeah it just forces you to say i don't accept that that's not gonna work right I, I had a bridal horse i came here on and at home he's so nice and so good but you come in here and get in the deep water. You're like, oh, those couple of little things I was letting slide, they didn't work here. You no. didn't work here when there's 30, uh, 30, one, 32 horses in that bridal deal. And no they're donators. All, it, there's no, no donators. No, yeah, there's no donators. No, yeah. Well, little mistakes. You take over it. half of them could win it. Or more. Over half. Maybe yes, all of Jim, them. Over you know, half. If they get the good shot yep. at the cow and all. But yeah, and it, it'll open your eyes. I don't I don't <laughs> remember watching a horse that I thought, well, that's not a very good horse. <laughs> I saw a lot of horses that I thought, that was bad luck. Sure. I don't remember seeing one. And you know, in the past, we the uh, bridal class that big, you'd see some like, ooh. There'd be five or six in there. You'd be like, yeah. That guy's Yikes. a little over his head right there, yeah. but I didn't. I don't. I don't think there was any in this one. I didn't see it. No, nope. boy, they were tough. Yeah. Well, that the Derby when they had the finals last night, there wasn't too many dinks. No. Yeah. I, what? There was 130 horses one. entered here, something like that. 140, 130, 140. in the Derby. Yeah. 150. 150. One or two. And I'm talking about. There. I don't know if there was a donator one. I mean, there was that. That was a. Tough I one. remember when. Well, you know him uh, with Greg Whalen, I mean, Ward and Dima and Bobby Ingersoll and uh, all of T Teddy. And, uh, you know, there was like 20 horses that were pretty dangerous, hard to get around. Mm -hmm. And then there was just another 100 that were there. There. Now, this is out of the 100, there's 75 of them beat you. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Now there's 20 that don't belong there. Yeah, but the, and they say why, and they say, well, our old horses and the bridle horses and fence horses and things were, I think, as good as they are today. 
rode them a little different. Like I say, pick them up in the turns. If you turned a cow and he went out in the middle, you said, well, tip your hat because you ain't going to win shit. Adios. But today it's different, and the cattle are different. They got all these limousines and beef masters and crazy crap bred things so you can't catch them, you know. I mean, they're different. Them old Herefords, they were a little bit. Right. You smack him in the face on a fence, and he's all slow down for you. These mm. things here get pissed. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's the funny ones. They're the ones that, like, you might box them a little bit and drive them around there. And think, son of a gun, hardly got to drive him all the way to the first turn. And then he might pick up a little bit for that second turn if you let him have a little air and, like, let him think he's getting away. Go get him and wax him again. And then you got him, and you start out there circling, and then here we go. Oh, Tail now, and all of a sudden, now you decide oh. to get ambitious. I, I laughed. I told him, look at that guy. He looks like a heel fly on him. His tail's right straight <laughs> over his back, and he is honking it now. So, yeah, it gets it's different. They're tricky And critters. I've never been an advocate judging. And before Ink fired me, I had a lot of judging jobs. and But I think that those horses that do those crazy things like that those good horses keep their mouth shut and they get them good cattle and there's nothing wrong with marking them a 75 six right you know because you've got room to go up or down what's the difference mm-hmm. and numbers are to place the good horse first and numbers are to place it <laughs> down low <laughs> i mean it's that simple so i hope you're going to edit that yep <laughs> Yes. So it. <laughs> so it's kind of fun uh, to look how things have changed. But the riders today are better. The trainers, the young kids are training better and on better horses for sure. You know the better bred horses. There's just I rode some old cold blooded things. Some of them didn't have papers. They're just old broncs. And you know you do the best you can. Go to the horse show. So I asked Ronnie the other day about you know the conversations always. Could the older horses from back in the day compete today? And I think unquestionably that there are horses then that could compete now. I mean, you adjust the styles a little bit and no problem. I know they would. Yeah. My question is, how many of the horses today, and I know they're bred to be athletic and this and that, but with all the technology we have with the veterinarians, with the ground, with all the best conditions, how many today do you think could go back there and hang with them tough horses that were doing it in all kinds of conditions and maybe there wasn't some out on the racetrack at salinas and they come through with a cultivator and there's clods in it that big that's you know um, but it's different it's different and that's and that's we never about it that was just what was there you know just showed in it and uh now look at they oh man like well look at uh Oklahoma City, they come in there and take all the dirt out, the red dirt, and bring white dirt in and different sands, and it's about this deep, and they can skate on that, mother. Uh huh. But they aren't going to do this event on it. No. <laughs> you know, no way in hell. It has so what do you? Changed. So do you think that these new that these these horses of today could go back there and handle those situations uh, and they circumstances? Would, they'd be in some arenas. It'd be tough, like Tucson. Uh, even the old arena in Sacramento where a lot of great horses were shown, Johnny Brazil's and all those old-time guys, Pennington Peak and all those good horses, that's Tanbark. 
And I don't know if you ever showed on tan bark. It's black. It's tan bark like they use for gardens now. Sure. But, oh, you talk about slick. Circling cattle and stuff, you always held your breath. and But they'd slide forever on it. Every bit as good mm. as they stopped today. So, <clears throat> Every bit as good. So, Jim, back then when that ground was like that, you drop a shoulder, you're going down. And maybe, maybe... I do feel like nowadays that's one thing I do see a little bit of. I wish the ground's so good and the horses are so athletic, a lot of them get by with a dropped shoulder, but I wish a lot of people would keep that shoulder up a little more in that circling. Well, I just, I talked to visit. Well, kids will come by and say, some are young trainers. They say, oh, you're Jim Paul. Glad to meet you. And, and they'll all ask the same question about the old horses. But those were bridle horses, most of them Hackamore horses, and they were straight up and down. Then the only time we doubled horses is if he needed his ass kicked. You know, you bend, you bend him around and kick that belly out from under him. A horse couldn't hardly buck you off a rear up if his butt's flying around. So mm -hmm. that was a lifesaver at one point. But it was, tell a horse you're being bad. Mm -hmm. Today they ride around and kick and pull and kick and pull and kick and pull. And I scold Randy for it. And that's what cost him on his little red horse in the herd work. Right. He had to start that little horse every time to the right turn. I said, did you feel that? He said, no, I had to start him. You couldn't see it much. Right. But you've been around some. You could see that, you know, he just moved just tip his butt a little bit, just a little to start that horse. You could tell. Right. And I'm telling you, you are so anal about wanting to bend their heads around to put their nose under your stirrup and then rock back and then fold through their self and get over there well that's pretty good to that's a, a lot of, that's a lot of process to go through well i showed lots of cutting horses under those buster welchy kind of guys and matlock and don and those people thank god i did get to they're straight they said he run over there and stopped the hind leg under him and he peeks at the cow that's plenty bent enough and he'll come through his self right. hard it's just different. Today, it's a lot of curl and a lot of lifting and poking. And I never liked the word shouldering in or shouldering this and that. And Don Murphy and I, we would talk about it when we both were mobile. <laughs> if you stay behind a cow, he won't lean in. Right. Right. You run up here and stay there, he ain't going to lean in. You get out here on a pretty cowy horse, he's going to lean in. He wants you know, to be there. Well, sure. So... And you can take away a lot of stuff and, and keep the inside. I tell him, keep your inside rein up a little bit. Just keep him peeking in there running, and he won't do that. And so, and I think the pole, the leaning in and stuff all starts at the pole. If you watch horses lean in, the first thing you'll see is their head a little bit to the outside of their turn, and their pole isn't bent right they're not soft back here behind their ears and that. Right. they're not in other words a flexion is like harold the ear wasn't down that outside ear wasn't down that's what harold right. used to say you've got to have it you've got to have that tip and if you don't they'll they'll drop that front end but the reason you keep the front end up all you gotta do is hold the rein up for christ's sake and it's pretty simple pretty simple it is simple and a lot of times uh, if you fix it while they're running you know why you're running with a cow and you can hold that up a little, keep a little inside mm -hmm. leg, maybe a little touch here and there, keep mm -hmm. him like that. He's going to be pretty good. Do you think that a lot of people are going around that cow and then trying to come to it instead of coming from behind exactly. and letting that cow pull? And then so they're going wide and that horse wants to be there. 
So his shoulder's over there and his head's to the outside. And then they try to go there and then they pull him over there. Slingshot him in there. Oh, yeah. No, God. it's exactly right. You see it all day long. All day. And the better horses, I've had horses you couldn't make lean in there. I mean, they were just right. good athletes. Well, that's fun. Then you don't have to have all that technical crap. But you better have... You better be able to. Jimmy Williams told me something one time. It was at Sacramento, and I was riding one of them Bronx. And uh, he was, he would do the tricks, you know, the stop and turning fairly good. But and he watched me, and he come up. I was probably 18 or 19. No, I was 17, cause just before I went in the Navy. He come up, and he said, you've got good hands, young man. I'm Jimmy Williams. I said, well, yeah. He said, you're Jim Paul. I said, yeah. He said, well, we'll watch you a little bit. He says, well, I'm going to tell you something, how you're going to improve. And I'd never met him. And he said, you get that horse broke from the saddle horn back with your legs and your butt as good as you can up front with your hands. He said, you'll win something. Well, it took about five years to figure out what the hell he was talking about. But <laughs> I, I got it figured out with Harold Farron and a few of those guys that knew a lot about the dressage leg and all that. But... It uh, then he rode off. He was that was it. That was the, riddle, that riddle was me it. this, riddle me that. <laughs> that reminds me, we're in uh, Queen Creek 2012, and I'm out here and I got oh, I've got traveling Jones and Spoonful of Sugar, and I've got them hauled out there, and I'm feeling pretty confident about my deal, but I know that I got a lot of horse, and I'm out there and I'm walling around on these rascals, you know, before, and I'm getting them in all these precarious Stop. situations i got him <laughs> bent over here and i'm kicking here and kicking there and you know and shoot fire i mean what 2012 so i'm uh i don't know 31 30 31 years old and like i haven't it hadn't been 13 so i haven't won every i haven't won all the events yet but i got pretty good horses but i'm trying hard a little too hard this, <laughs> this guy rides by me guy rides by me and it's my friend jim paul he says i think you're pissing that horse off son <laughs> said, and my first thought was what do you know old man <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me you don't, you don't know, know me. me you don't know me <laughs> did it have him pissed off i had him pissed off for good yeah you're not right but but that's another one of those five, my five minute question. Right. That's another one of my deals, right? That's the one I've got another one it's that I've remembered. That I, re, I hear it at every horse show. Like when I'm out there prepping, I'm like, you can hey, hear it's me. maybe the night before if I need to, if I need to get in there, I'll do it the night before, but I ain't doing it right now. Right. right. Like we're going to show here in an hour. There ain't, we might as well be friends today. Perfect. Skeeter <laughs> was, uh, uh, very uh, the luckiest person in the world to have him and he was a good little horse and won a lot on him Chubby Turner won a lot on him and I wouldn't let Chubby school him I, I said you you, and I was off judging doing something and they wanted to take him and I said you can take him to Texas and show him Chubby but Gary schools him you get on at the back gate oh that pissed him off but he wanted to show him so bad so Gary was pretty soft with him you know and schooled him but that little horse if you thought one day you showed him on sunday and you come on monday and you're a little pissed because you were didn't place or down low and you so you think well if you schooled him monday and tuesday 
you had better quit. And then writing very soft till Saturday when you went to do it. <laughs> Donna say, well, put your rock grinders on, move him over here, and then that's it. That'd be on Monday. And you didn't screw with him because they could remember that. They get the smart horses. I try to tell him, you know, you better. Corey was schooling at that same place, Queen Creek. He yep. had a little red horse, and he couldn't figure eight him. And I said, well, I could see what the hell he was doing. He's fighting his head. And uh, this about the same time years ago. And so he come through there, and I said, well, you're telling him that you're going to horrify him in the center of the ring. So I said, first mistake. Next mistake, come through there and slow down and take your leg off and wait on him. Just pick him up and wait on him. Pretty soon he's figuring, and he went a hackamore class on him, but he won't stop. He said, "Watch this." He runs down, and Corey's strong. He both hands. I said, "Well, first mistake is you never pull a snapple bit or hackamore horse with both hands unless you want to teach him to pull. So you bump with one and then pull the other." He didn't like that, but he did it. Oh, man, what do you know? You don't know yeah. me. And he won. <laughs> but the horse stopped then because he had nothing to lay on, you know, yeah. bump, bump. And you, you hack them horse, they're just like a collar. You put it on there and go to pull, and they'll pull. <laughs> You're darn right. There ain't no worse feeling than being locked on there. Man, this thing getting strong from the nose. <laughs> but they're fun. I, I loved hackamore horses and had a lot of luck with them, but it's... Took a while figuring it out. Hey, Jim, so I want to jump back on that circling a little bit. So with what you're seeing in the show pen so much now, what is your advice on how to practice circling? <laughs> well, did you know Frank Rue? Or heard of him? Gee, many Christmas, Jim. I'm only about well, 50 years pretty, old. You're pretty young. <laughs> but he, uh, at the ranch, we'd... We lived across the street from us. Had about three thousand old broken mouth cows, and uh, they'd be in the rice fields after they had harvested the rice. And those calves would all be laying on the, on the banks, banks on the uh, borders. Yeah, and the cows, and then it'd be like a hundred, two hundred feet across before the next border, and then they had plowed it, disked it. Be a cow out there licking up rice and stuff that did fell out of the harvester and stuff. And Frank would be on them coasts, just go out there and start a loping big circle around that cow, just watch him like, what in the hell are you doing? And around, around. Then we'd go ride off and find some cows, push them here and there, and we'd ride off on them coasts, which was good for him. And then we'd get out, and he'd see another cow out there, and he'd go around, around. Pretty soon he might just drop in there and get maybe 10 foot from it. Let that colt look in there and get around there. It wasn't very long. He could be sloping around, pick that horse up. He'd just go right to that cow and go around it, round, round. The old cow stand around. Then in the arena, he'd get behind one. Always come around. The I tell them this, and they don't understand. They come off that fence and they will dead at that cow's hip or ass, and try to get around it to circle it. And I said, Why don't you come out here where you can see you, and turn him and circle him. Why would you want to hit him in the butt and go faster? To push him down the arena? Just come, <laughs> yeah, just come around him and then come in and circle. You know, where you got him bent. So then it seemed to work better. Then the horse is not in a, in a position where he's struggling to get there, you know. And touch on a little bit about where you go to that cow. Because do you feel like people get a little up Sometimes when they get wide, they get up too far, 
and then try to close on the count instead of getting out here. And then when they can see that, say, armpit or shoulder, and then go 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 get there instead of coming out here and having it shut off on the inside. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, it's between his hip bone and his shoulder, and you don't... To me, I like my horse's shoulders at the cow shoulder. Okay, yep. So he's not a past the cow, but he's... The, if that cow looks up, there's a horse there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think crowding him at that point, he'll just either roll back under or they... What's the hardest cow to circle? One that keeps falling away. Falling away. Falling away. Yep. Fall, Jesus Christ, you're going fast the horse can run. That cow's trotting. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't get there, so... Uh, and Doug Williamson, I remember him talking about it. We was just like we're doing here, just bullcrapping around a little about it. But he says when he gets in that, that happens to him. He said, I just get wider and come clear around to his head again and come around it. And he said, and then usually you can get at least a half a circle or a pretty good circle before they start falling again. You stay right up here and keep crowding. It's hard to catch them. Mm-hmm. And I and another thing that they keep the inside rein up and a little inside leg on a horse while he's circling, he'll stay on lead and he'll have his body bent like the circle you're going in. And maybe he the key word there passing his head, you know what? And maybe the key word there is a little, huh? Because you'll see him sometimes just. Oh, that's yeah. what I see the most is him pull that nose so far to that Over cow and then their butt passes them on the outside <laughs> and it's just scrambling around. And that's when I tell folks, that's when it feels like you're drunk and running downhill. Yes, it is. Yeah, on square tires. <laughs> it just don't work. And it's, uh, and you watch the, you know, a older horse is pretty good, like that old horse that Jake Krell showed, that old oh, sorrel horse. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just put, wrap the reins around the saddle horn and sit there, and he just gets up there in the right spot every time, circles all day. But he's straight up and down. No shoulders, the withers ain't. I tell people, why don't you just, instead of worrying about their shoulders and stuff, watch what's happening up there at their pole, and why aren't the withers so straight up and down under your saddle horn? Why are? Why is he leaning out or in? You're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah, for me, if I feel like them shoulders are going in or out, it's because their butt is trailing out behind me <laughs> and maybe slapping me between the shoulder blades. I'm like, why don't you keep your butt down closer to the ground and drive forward when you use that motor? and drive forward and it's amazing how square them shoulders will get when that butt goes up underneath that saddle horn. you can control the shoulder and end and stuff i hear that conversation constantly and i don't like to use that word shouldering it or they drop his shoulder well i taught a lot it of all started in another place in i'll guarantee you yeah don murphy will say it but i taught a lot of them to rare i had them shoulders plenty picked up <laughs> <laughs> I eliminated that crap from my my vocabulary about 15 years ago. When Don said he wasn't going to help me no more if I didn't get him to quit rearing. I was like, well, I don't know. Everybody wants me to keep picking their shoulders up, and I, they can't, I get, no can't, get, no higher. They can't yeah. get no higher. Harold, one time, he told me, he says, what do you want him to do, levitate? Yeah. Then you say, well, what the hell is that? <laughs> we would be drunk and stay. I'd just go stay at his house for a few days and... Of course, it was 24-hour drinking, but <laughs> but a lot of horseback riding. And he would get up in the morning, and, he, oh, he was a funny son of a gun when he woke up. And he'd say, let's go pull some arc inflections on him. He says, your horse is a little crappy to the right. <laughs> we need to get his hip up on him and stuff. And Harold told me one time when I was watching, 
and oh, I won money from Lynn Anderson and Cal Cooper. I'll tell you that story in a minute. <laughs> we go, we go, and Don used to say, and I, I always liked that saying, is that when if you're going to go down the fence, stay a little closer to your cow so he don't lean in, and concentrate on chasing him with his butt. If you keep the front end where it belongs, just keep his ass drove into that cow. He'll sit on it. Well, Harold says, yeah, he does. But when he turns, of course, he's going to be on the other side of the cow immediately, you hope. And he, all his power is off the outside foot. Balance is on the inside. And I always thought, well, he had to have his inside foot there and push off his front end. Well, no, you don't want him doing that. You want to pick it up, having power off of that outside foot, he'd be on the proper side of the cow like that. So that took a while to get to learn the language of what the hell they were talking about. So when you finally decide to accept it and try it, and it works. And those horses, well, that's why Demon was so good down the fence. You know, she, of course she was gutty and uh, had a lot of timing. Well, she rode with Ray Hackworth and him and Salinas when she was five years old, for mm -hmm. Christ's sake. So, I mean, she didn't start yesterday. Right. So, I mean, she had it. the cow figured out pretty good. So what I'm hearing there is, like, to make that turn as efficient as possible. And I see a lot of guys trying to make that turn faster and wondering why those cows keep coming off the fence and wondering why they can't beat that cow. And no matter how hard they pull and how hard they try and make that horse turn, they keep hitting that cow in the butt and chasing it either away or off the fence. And I'm like, it's not about turning fast. It's about turning efficient. If you can turn efficient, that's the only chance you have to get back in the neck of that cow. And what keep is good over form? There. It's it. Speed. Good form will produce speed. And so good form, practice the form, get them, run up there and get on their butt, pick them up in the turn. And so if they bring their head over the top of that cow, you 90% of the time, you're going to be on the proper side of the cow. That's all there is to right. it. I mean, just get over there. But. Yeah, nothing gets me worse than when they come through that first turn and they're over there between the cow and the fence. I Oh, nothing uh, got me fired, oh. Benny and I both. <laughs> as we said, Bill, how come? You're going to mark this horse 75 down the fence, you know, watching a film. He said, well, well, look at the turn he made. I said, well, yeah, but he'd do that without the cow. I mean, he rolled back. He's stuck on the fence now, and the cow's in the middle of the arena because of the unfilthy way he turned. And so what are you going to do about that? And the cow runs under the guy's stirrup, never turns, just goes down there and makes his loop around the end. He goes down and gets it brings it back. Well, did he turn the cow or didn't he? If he goes down, the horse rolls back, has a hell of a turn, sits on his ass, rolls back, but he's plastered against the wall because he's leaning out because he's got him bent so much. Well, and the cow runs under his stirrup and never turns. I'm saying, you mark that a 75, I mark it a 62. Well, you're argumentative and you're not paying attention to how <laughs> they do today. Well, probably not. Probably, you could be probably right. I made, I made a turn just like that one time in Paso Robles. And this mare whooped her butt out of that turn so hard, I knocked two signs off the wall <laughs> with her butt on the back side of that turn. Did the cow turn? Yeah, and the cow turn. The first cow turn, I run down there, and the first part of this turn's pretty good. She read it, and I mean, it was good, but then she lost her power off her butt, and it whooped out kind of like 
our buddy did the other night down here in this gate <laughs> and slapped her butt right at the junction when they had them big heavy signs that were like tied to the fence and I hit right on a junction and knocked two of them loose and they're swinging like saloon doors <laughs> I had to rebuild the whole darn arena when I got done out there <laughs> but I don't think those are proper turns you know? no and they feel you know. terrible hey so and then too Jim I feel like you've concentrate a lot on when they're making the turns that that horse keeps himself broken the pole all the way through well yeah so, so they don't struggle right so it so it's not just about pulling them through there and messing all that pull up it's about keeping them broken the pole and pointing them and riding them through that turn I'm not. I'm just. I'm asking you. That's the formula. You can ride him. Yes, you can ride him out. You can ride him out of that turn because you got control over it. So that's what you're. When you say practice the correct form, that means that I'm going to go to the turn. I'm going to stop. I'm going to be able to turn and and I'm never twisting that neck on. I'm never twisting that head on the end of that neck. That horse is broken the pole. He's looking where I want to go, and I can ride him there. So so if when you when you're practicing, you go down the fence with the little inside leg, sit down so the inside leg hits the ground first. He comes over, powers off of that leg, and then all of a sudden, you were riding him like this to get the turn as he's coming out. You got to change it all. Then you lift this. So mm-hmm. he, his body does this, and the cow's right there. He's in that pocket. So so you got to change that. And uh, so I know Murphy and I, we do a lot of it. When we were younger, we'd go down the fence and get the good square stop and turn the cow over there and put the leg. Now it's by the cow that was on the outside of the turn and, and press the horse up. Be still pretty straight, but press him up so he can run beside the cow, and the cow's still there in, in control. <laughs> And that way the horse learns to get bent, and he's here. Now them guys, oh damn! They like you say they bend them so hard, and the horses yeah, butt flies so off hard. the yep. ground, and pretty hard for a horse to get out of the hole. Yeah, you pull that cow side rein too much, and their butt's got to go somewhere. There's not very many yeah. that can keep their butt down. So there's some pull. things the young guys are doing that we've never do, you know. But then. A lot of times you can be on one of them little freaky horses. You can pull him any way you want, and he does it. You <laughs> they, know, so. they just figure out how to get there. <laughs> Dima had a horse named Barfly. He's a paint horse. I used to turn back on him a lot at the, at the snaffle bit. I turned back forever and settled cattle on him and the whole thing for, in the earlier days. Until they found out I didn't know what I was doing, then they fired me. But I tricked him for several years. And But that horse she showed down the fence when he was three, Never saw a cow. So they roped on him and kept, and then she'd practice on him and go show him at this show and that show around. And that mother would mark a 75, 90% of the time down the fence. He figured it out. He figured out how to get a cow turned and have it trapped. And that, that pretty smart horse, just doing it so much that he just figured out how to save himself. Sure. Made the turn easy for him and it was mm-hmm. proper. That's awesome. Jimmy brought his little kid over. He says, uh, then we were working some horses indoor arena there at Demons, and he says, uh, I want to come to look at a couple of horses. He had his little boy, it was about that big, Lane. And he said, and so he's 
I said, don't, now don't let that kid run down the other end of the arena on that old horse to bring that guy. That son of a gun will airmail him. Oh, no, he can ride good. He said, he'll hold, he went to oh, shit. He looked like a little bird flying through the air. And I said, that old horse, he, he didn't care what you did or what. He turned the cow proper. So. Sparrow. <laughs> the first time they had... Um, the rule book, Bobby Ingersoll, Smokey Eyes, Skippy Brown, a bunch of us. We're at a little town there right outside of Marysville. And uh, case book for the rain cow horse. First time they wrote one. So they had the grandstand full of inmates, you know, and they're trying to watch and learn something. And Ingersoll, of course, got In, the Did you say inmates? Yeah. They were like inmates of poor bastards. They were trapped. They couldn't even get off the fairgrounds till we were done with them. <laughs> they, uh, we're referring to spectators, though, right? They were there to learn how to judge. Oh, I get you. I and get some you. spectators. You. Okay. Right. So anyway, Ingersoll's <laughs> reading these new rules and what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to operate. So Dima, they have a few works, and then Dima takes the old barfly out there, and she's got a big old fat Charley cow that run hard. Boy, and that horse did eat its lunch, just as a demo. So Bob says, okay, you, who marked this horse? A 70. About two hands went up. He said, okay, who marked him under a 70? About half of them raised their hand up. Ingersoll's turning red. <laughs> and he said, who marked him a 75? Well, a couple of guys did. Inger said, well, he was a 75 or more. He says, you people, promise me one thing. You never come and judge where I want to go show. They didn't get the picture, you know, and so it was, it was pretty comical. I thought he was. I thought he was there to train him, not fire him. <laughs> what they, uh, they what were, were you doing? He's calling, calling, calling. That's it. It was just a little event he put on, and some of them, you know, figured it out and had some more works, and they started getting close. But it was still it was comical as hell. It shocked him. I was in an NRHA school, and we broke up. They have small group little session, and there's a gal in there. And we're watching these videos now, and there's maybe eight or ten of us in this little small group, and we're just going around the table judging runs. And this video comes on, and this old boy turns the corner, and I'm talking about runs down there and gets it on. And she says, and I mean, I just instantly go, one, like, can't even help myself. It's a one all day. She's like, hmm, zero. You know, he picked his hand up a little here or there. And I was, and I'm not teaching. I'm just there. I think it was my first school, and I was like, but I've been showing them Rainers quite a bit at that time. And I says, lady, if you can make them do it better than that, I'm going to send you my whole barn, and I'll just show up with my leggings and show them. <laughs> she but said a zero, huh? She said a zero, yeah. And I said a plus one. And I'm like, holy crap, lady. I'm like, come on now. Like, we need to get, get in the ballgame a little bit. So, like, I don't I, I They don't had don't a show name. here not too long ago. I don't know if it was the National or whatever they called it. But a quarter horse show, maybe it was, of some kind. And they had the judges up there. And that's pretty good cow works. Good, had good cattle. And the first cow horse that worked, that was a, between a 65 and a 75. <laughs> we thought, well, somebody missed something. So, you know, that's okay. So it goes on. Then they would be as far as 10 points apart. Wow. 
No, they got pretty upset. So anyway, I think the other two judges that had some experience went and talked to these two or three poor bastards <laughs> trying to figure it out. And then they come back, and they're 75, 78, and the two smart judges are a 72, 74. <laughs> it just went, oh, it was so comical. The whole show was a, you know, you really Clusterville. just enjoyed Clusterville, your, population five. And you just had fun and the hell with it. All right. All right, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you just take your best shot and oh, ride right. out. But it was, uh, but they're, they're the, out there, those judges. The good ones or the bad ones? Both. Together. <laughs> I hate it when they're together. <laughs> I like it when they're all good. And if they're all bad, then you just... You just work your horse. Yeah, well, yeah. Just go buy them something. 33, 33 years ago, June 16th, I quit drinking. I haven't had a drink since then. 30 but years well, ago? Yeah. 33. 33. But 33. when I was drinking... Then I would argue with the judges. Oh yeah, you, you're <laughs> way you're way less combative now. <laughs> but that's what, uh, and you just you know you just. But that's how we showed over on the coast. That's how we showed. Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but hell, all all your heroes, Red Neal and all those Ori Rhodes and all those great Rainers, they drank considerable. Right. So you figured the hell you I guess you have to do that if you want to win. Right? Didn't yeah, realize it's, it's that, turned into a business now. Yeah. No, there's no plane. You don't do that now. I was laughing watching him school here the other night and I said, Well, you know Les Vote and I and Harold and a bunch of us we would have a bottle a gallon of VO at this end and a <laughs> gallon of wine at the other. And by the time it was gone, we'd take the horses to the barn. Really, we didn't know if they were good or bad. But we had a damn good time. It was probably easier on the horses. It was. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you'd win some. It was kind of this. But today, you know, you can't afford to do that. And the people, you know, if we give it 5000 for a horse, that's a lot of money. Right. Now it's 100000 and you don't get drunk and show them that people get upset. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh, as well they should no absolutely absolutely yeah, that's right hey chris so what about these rpx enterprises vitamins and supplements dude i'm gonna tell you what they keep us rolling like all year round but especially through this fraternity season and with all this covid crap and you're a little worried about your immunity man they've got the immune booster i take the axion every day the immune stuff is awesome they have stuff, I mean, just anything you can think of to be healthy, lose weight, get energy, help you sleep. If you can think that you need it, they've probably got it. I'm telling you what, and it's, and there again, we're talking about people that are our family, okay? They're in the horse business. Robin Packard, she is a huge supporter. She's getting ready to get involved in the cow horse. She's been heavily involved with the cutting horses and the rope horses. And you're not the only one taking it. We got Robert Smith taking it, Tyler Merrill, Casey Green, Matt Miller, Wesley Tharp, and Emily Miller all on it, all trying to get that little edge. You're among good company. Amongst good company. Of course we are. Hey, and what about if you're having a long, hard drive, Chris? Oh, I'm telling you what, them zings? They'll, get, they'll get you there. They'll get you there, and the XR2s will let you, get, let you wind down when you when get there. When you get there, there <laughs> be able to get that sleep back. Right. <laughs> and if you need to uh, ask them anything about it, you can just email rpxhealthandwellness 
at gmail.com or you can go to their website at rpxhealthandwellness.com and check out all the products they have and everything they do for you. They sure take care of us here at Dawson Performance Horses and at Cow Horse Full Contact. That's right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump back. What do you remember about June 1st, 1937? I was hatched. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go to there and let's uh, work forward. Where was it? Sacramento, California. What did your mom and dad do? My mother came from a homestead in Jacksonville, Oregon. Her parents came from Sweden and Norway. Oh, really? That's why my complexion's so beautiful. Yeah, that's a <laughs> clean skin. Yeah. Um, my brother and my dad was, a, like I said, a French-Canadian, dark skin, dark eyes, and black hair. And uh, then I had a brother. He passed away this year. And uh, a sister that were dark, complected, and black hair and such. And then my other sister and myself were freckles and reddish, light-skinned oh. on my mother's side of the Swede. Oh, yeah. And I mean the Nor- Norwegian kind of bred people. And uh, my dad was uh, worked for the telephone company when he met my mother in Yuba City. Calusa, rather, California. She worked. She escaped from home when she's 18 and went to the, worked in a drugstore. It's still there and still operating. been handed up through the families and still there. And But she worked in the drugstore and lived with her older sister. And uh, my dad working for the telephone company on their days off, they would walk up and down the streets and stuff. They were doing all the telephone lines there at that time from Sacramento to Oregon, up old 99. Oh, wow. Highway, building all that stuff. Well, then he finally went to work for the Air Force at uh, McClellan Field and was a welder and a machinist. And then he... uh, Got to running a lot of fancy equipment, but he couldn't never get promoted because he had a sixth grade education. He was an orphan. He was raised in Carson City, Nevada, in an orphanage. Mm. Then his mother, I think my grandmother then, I think she was a bit of a rounder. Mm. Because we never knew who the grandfather was. She's a little spicy, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But she grabbed him and moved to... Anaconda, Montana, and then he worked as like 14, 15 or whatever on up till he could escape. He was 18 or so when he went to work for the phone company, but he worked in those mines, those copper mines up there. How come he was an orphan? His family died or? The father run off and the mother was, as she got older, she lost her hearing and then she got c- kind of couldn't Great. see very good. And then, uh, then, anyway, my mother and him got married. They lived in Sacramento, California, and it was way out in the country. And this now, of course, surrounded by crap. But they, he bought 10 acres there and uh, was working for the phone. So then he got, and I'll tell you how my father was. It didn't rub off on me. I wish it had. A, but he went to night school and got his high school diploma. Then he went to night school and got his master's degree in metallurgium and took him like six, seven years. He did all this at night. Wow. Studying. Oh, my goodness. And then when those good jobs came, 
the tie and then uh, white shirt and <laughs> just he went way he up went on, to the yeah, top and but he made it and when we were real young during the wars and stuff uh, then he would go back east and do a lot of they were trying to figure out why a B-29 airplane would shake and fall apart they couldn't get the right uh, aluminum with the right uh, tinsel in it that it wouldn't where they riveted the damn airplane together when they, when they banked it and turned the bomb and so it would shake and the rivets would fly out and it would get big cracks in it and so they were f testing finding the right uh, material so he was gone a little bit when that was gone so we were raised in Jacksonville you know stayed there a lot I love Jacksonville Oregon mm. but now it's all liberal so I don't know. Yeah, that's gone. I don't think I'd go there now. No. So in, uh, so he was working for the government on that project oh, yeah. or the no, airlines? The government. So yeah. then my mother's family, my grandfather on her side, worked horses. And he came across Medford over the top of the hill before while they were building Hoover Dam. While they were building that dam, that road was a dirty, steep son of a... But he'd have like four or five covered wagons maybe 20, 30 workhorses, and then he would, maybe a half a dozen men work for him. They would come over that, come down into Northern California around Red Bluff, Redding, all that country, and they would harvest. There's all those farmers would own wooden harvesters and stuff, and he would have, but they wouldn't keep horses year-round. It cost too much, so he had, that was, he was a, what the hell would you call him? Some kind of a contractor. He'd bring the horses down there, and but, my oh, mother said, and run their machines. Yeah, and pull oh. their machines and go to the next farm and harvest their wheat or rice or something. And he had a lot of horses, and uh, I guess that's where I some rubbed off on me somehow. I don't know. But, uh, Did you hang out with him a lot? No, I, I only got one picture of him. I was sitting on his knee. He had a big white handlebar mustache and a white hat that had not one bend in it just like an Indian rump. And he was a big, tough son of a bitch. And he drank a lot. And, uh, but he had those teams and those people, and that's what they did. And they homesteaded, oh, I don't know, a couple acres in Jacksonville, a couple hundred acres, and they, he farmed a little of that. And my grandma lived there till she was 90-something, then they forced her to move to town. Mm. But I went to high school one year in Medford, I mean in Jacksonville. Two rooms. It's a museum now. The little high school is just not much bigger. These rooms here. And uh, upstairs was old kids, downstairs little kids. Wow. We had a we had enough boys for a, a basketball team, but we only had an eight-man football team. We, no, no. we had a couple of girls could have played football. Big, aim-headed. <laughs> <laughs> <you know. laughs> they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't let them. <laughs> Then I just come home and back to Sacramento with my mom and dad, and uh, would go to Barbara Worth's stable where Don Dodge was married to her at that time. And so, hell, I still wouldn't driving or anything. I was still too young. I'd ride my bicycle after school over to her place, clean stall, so I could ride a horse. You lived? Oh, is that where you? Is that the first place you got around a horse? Hey, should we take a break for a minute while this tractor's running? Yeah, and Let's go take a pee. break for a minute. Yeah, that was pretty cool though. How to do it? And then of course there was Bill Alon, which nobody knows, but he's a good horseman, and Don Dodge. But Barbara Worth was a treat. But we all rode those jumping horses for Barbara, the ones that would 
not jump, quit the fence, roll back, do all that. So she'd be on a broke horse and she'd have a big old chunk of chain. She'd whip their ass if they didn't go over that fence and go over there. We were all hanging on trying to ride those. But jumped a lot of horses there and it was it was a kick in the ass. And Ingersoll, he rode them pretty good. But that, that ant hill was something. Then Don built a little cutting pen there and that's where he had Pocalina, Pocotivio, all those famous foundation horses. That, what was the little buckskin horse's name? Damn, it's terrible to get old. Get, he was a wise camp looking horse. They all came from the Wagner Ranch where Don went back there and bought them. Oh, okay. And uh, Pine Johnson was training, was their trainer at uh, Wagner. Snipper W, that was his name. Not the famous halter horse, but it was... And he was a little yellow horse with a kind of a buckskin black mane and tail. Boy, he was a good little bastard. He won the world on him, Don did. Wasn't many, many Texans allowed Californians to win nothing. And we'd all. And when I first went to Texas to cut, I had a pretty good horse, and I thought, you know, but I'd always be a, a point out of winning any money. And I'd tell Don, I'd get so disgusted. And he says, well, let me tell you a little something about cutting. He says, well, you come to Texas. I was telling him I'd cry like hell because I was on Bonita Sand and them best horses going. Yeah. And uh, if I could cut good, why, they'd win some. But I couldn't win nothing in Texas. Don won a little bit. And, of course, finally Don says, and I was pouting one morning. How come I'm, my horse is a mark of four and I don't even get a check? I mean, they don't even know I'm here. They'd whip on me pretty good. He said, let me tell you something about coming to Texas to cut. He says, cutting horses were invented in Texans, by Texans, and for Texans. And I thought, he did right, because that's how it was. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got to get back to Barbara Worth. Well, uh, we, uh, and, and oh, her with all those other three husbands. And husbands. We gotta, well, yeah. anyway, Ingersoll w- was there at the same time, and she'd put us on those bad ho- jumping horses that would roll out and wouldn't go in the gate, you know, and all those horse show things. And so she'd be back there with a buggy whip or a piece of chain, whip their butts, and you'd try to just do the best you could to stay on, you know. And uh, most of them had a mane about that long. You had to hell, put a little rope around their neck sometimes, like for a... Uh, modified night latch yeah it's, it's because that little funny saddle is hard to ride them and she'd whip hell at them and we do hop over those three foot fences nothing big but we had a lot of fun but we'd go every thursday night we'd go in there and get tortured it was kick they how, how old were you then i was probably 14 no kidding Let they'd me make me go home before dark because i had to ride my bicycle they didn't want me to get run over but, <laughs> uh, so i missed a lot of those meals but one night, Don was telling me that Barbara's mother was about the size of this table, and she <laughs> she's out in the yard in her nightgown, and old Jim's after her with a butcher knife, <laughs> and he's drunker than a skunk, and he's a hollering at her, and just Don said the tree was about this big, and she's hiding behind it. <laughs> she stuck out about this far on each side, and he couldn't see her. He was running around this. <laughs> He was so drunk. He said it was funnier than hell. Finally, he wore out and just fell on the grass and laid there a while. But I guess it was funny. 
But those those people lived there. That so, would have been a hell of a TV so program. But Barbara was, of course, in every Hall of Fame there was, except the Brain Cowers Hall of Fame. And I'm surprised they didn't put her in that. She is now, isn't she? she isn't she? I, I think, think so. she might be. I think she went in the same year as Ray Hackworth. Mm. Yeah, mm. probably did, yeah. So they got Pocalina. Now, I was still not driving yet. I mean, still 14 or something. He had Pocotivia, Pocalina, and Snipper W. So the, all three great horses that Pine Johnson had broke on the Wagner Ranch that Don had bought them from him. And so he, then he went to Phil Williams, who taught to help Matlock and Buster and all those in 1948. And he showed a horse called, which couldn't name him that today, but he won the world on him at the Cow Palace, I think, in 1950 or something like that. But Don had those those just great. Well, everybody still compares great mares and things to Pocolina. So she was just unbelievable, and she she could do. But I got to watch her cut. So he got, of course, smart mouth like he could do, and. Uh, Barbara says, he said, I could ride this horse. Barbara's cut on her and had a little hell riding her because, oh, she was pretty wicked. And he, But she did. And uh, he said, hell, I could ride that mare in a flat saddle. She says, well, just get your money out. Let's do it. <laughs> so he, he says, okay. And he puts the English saddle on her and cut, drives the cow off in that little chicken shit pen that they had there. And she got a hope pretty good. And uh, he he said, right before the two minutes was up, he said, I had to grab her by the mane and hang on, he said. Because <laughs> in those days, you cut like up here with sure, your hand. Sure, And uh, and you could rein around a little bit, but the reins were bouncing off their knees. I mean, there was some horrible slack in there, right. <laughs> those things. <laughs> and then, of course, they got shitty with new rules and stuff. The first time I judged, <laughs> I judged the Maricopa. There was about 90 open horses. They come from everywhere. Ten days long, never worked the same cow. They bring them big Bramer calves right down that lane every day, all day, every class, fresh cattle. So here, all the, all the time, they had thousands of them. They said, "You want to judge?" I said, "Well, I never judged. I just been cutting for like maybe a year." And he says, uh, "Well, I'll get your cart." So he goes and talks to Chet Johns, and the the you first you had to be approved by your state club. So you're 14 at Barberworth. Yeah, in the commune there. What? How did you? How did you get there? Like what? May, I mean, yeah. What happened? Yeah. How'd you meet him? Yeah. Well, you, I would go during the county fair. Sacramento was a state fair at that time, and so I'd go there, and I would. Uh, I didn't have no money. My parents never had any money, so I would uh, go there and get a job. And usually it was in the like cattle people and i didn't i refused to mess with the pigs but i i got but the cattle i liked so i'd clean the pens and clean you know just now or did you have bones, as, aspirations and, and i'd make a couple of bucks did you have any aspirations for the horse deal at oh this time? yeah the, so i'd when i got done with fixing the straw all oh, the everything had to be perfect with them show cattle but anyway i get done then i would get my two dollars or whatever they give me and i'd run over and watch all the horse show Oh, at the shows you would go work for them. Oh, I see. So but, you went to the affairs. fairs. I would work with the cattle show cattle people. You know, they give me a job. And then later on, I got the job with the horse people. But till I met, and that's I where you met Barbara at the, yeah. at the and then, shows. And she she says, uh, she was said something around there, and uh, 
and Bobby Ingersoll and um, Ronnie Richards, they lived there, of course, Sacramento area, but they had wealthy families and they had good horses. Hell, they were showing, hell, I was still trying to ride a bicycle. I didn't have no horse or no saddle, no nothing, tennis <clears throat> shoes. So, Barbara, anyway, I got to met her and she's, I said, boy, I sure like these horses. And she said, well, come and I'll show you some. You can come and ride. So I didn't realize there was a little fish hook in this deal because <laughs> I got there and then, oh, no, you've got to clean these stalls and polish this and rub saddle soap on that. Then you can ride. Oh, well, and I did for a, several years. <laughs> Is that Dima? No, it's Daryl, and I'm not going to bother him. He just wants to know how Randy is. Mm. But um, my good friend. So. <laughs> there. And. Uh, so when was the what was the first show horse that you saw? That right then when right then it was Harold Farron. Uh, Johnny Brazil, Don Dodge. Uh, and you were working a cattle show. Yeah. And slipped over there to watch them. Yeah. Oh, at the fair. At the fair. Yeah. They had the big horse show all every day at the fair. How, how did so. you know that you even wanted to go watch though? Well, I just, I just always loved horses. Oh, you did. Oh. But there were none. None in my None family. at home. No. Other than because you didn't even know your grandpa that had the teams. No, I hadn't. No, I got a, like I say, a picture of me sitting on his knee with that That's hat it. and big white mustache. The only time I ever, I don't remember him at all. None. So you, they did had you livestock, go to school? Lots of livestock. Were you going to school when you were 14? Sure, I was going to school. I know I don't act like it, but I did go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and you go all the way through high school, or do you go yes. to college? Or I had to finish high school in the Navy. I joined the Navy when I was 17 and a half. Mm. Tail end of Korea. Tail end of Korea. Mm. Thank God, because now my medicine's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Got all the, all the VA benefits. So. Lucky. Yes. So yes. you're 14, you're riding at Barbara's. Did you play any football or anything, Jim? Did yeah, you do I any played sports? football and very good at track and football. On on how I look now, in those days, I could run fast and I was fairly strong. <laughs> so, so you had a natural competitive edge and a, some just inside desire to be around the horses. Yeah, and that was just born with those They've two things. That's a picture. Well, I had it at the at the uh, indoctrination thing at the when I was. We'll put in the Hall of Fame. They had those pictures of this. Sure. I had a picture of me in my little sailor suit and all that stuff. But they have a one picture. I was, it must have still been in diapers or something. But anyway, I had a, my neighbor liked me, gave me a little hammer, pretty good, you know, little hammer and a stake, just an iron stake. And I'd go out and I'd pound that in the ground. And then my dad's friend come by and gave me a chain. I'd put that chain on that stake, and then I'd take it out there a little ways, and I had them cow up here. Always had my cow. My mother say I'd be sitting there at the table. I'd just jump up and run outside. She's where are you going? You haven't finished supper. I said, my cow's loose. Like <laughs> I'd run. I must have been a goofy little mother. <laughs> I, I they tell me funny stories about that. But I was just that 
oriented to livestock, I guess, when I could walk, you know. So, huh? So we hang out there with Barbara, fourteen, all the way up until the Navy, and then what made four us, years of that? What made you want to go to the Navy? Just my buddies and all. They said, "Let's join. We get all the benefits. If we wait four more months till we're eighteen, you that that's the police." force thing took over Korea and the 38 parallel and all that stuff and the VA thing stopped at by the time we were 18 so I said well we need that so we just went and joined so when you get in the Navy what I mean talk us through that do you have to go to basic and oh San Diego sure you go to basic training and then they of course I wanted to see the world my brother joined the Navy he got to go to Germany and Japan and all over the place and I joined the Navy. They sent me to Litchfield Park, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're in the Navy in Arizona. I had green stripes. That meant aviation. So there was a Navy base in Litchfield Park, and that's where they sent me. What did you learn there? Nothing. <laughs> I wanted to be an aviation mechanic is what I put in for. So they sent me down to the my little dungarees and things every morning and you went but all the mechanics were civilians that worked in this navy base. So what you did they say give me a 916th so you'd hand it to them. <laughs> <laughs> you never never worked on one airplane ever. All the time you there you handed them stuff. And um, <laughs> pissed me off. So one day they said, we need a, somebody down at the flight shack. And I thought, perfect. So I volunteered and I went down to the end of the runway. It was a tin building this big. And they had a couple of officers in there and a couple of chief petty officers and then a couple of flunkies like me. And uh, when the planes would land, you'd go out there and you would de- uh, you had to safety wire the machine guns and uh, the, had those injector seats, you know, that the pushed cup that fly off and they'd shoot. It was a 50 caliber shell what shot them pilots in the air when they had to bail out of them things. So you had to safety wire all that. So when the mechanics got in there crawling around, they wouldn't trip that mother and <laughs> oh. tear their arm off or their oh. head, you know. So. Yeah. And that was a pretty good job. And then... They said, well, you've been down here six months. You want to put in for flight pay. So they, when they took the bigger bombers and the transport planes, CD-7s and all those things, you got to uh, an AD-4s. You have a passenger in the very tail of that thing. had a little round window like that, and they were the fighter plane. But they had a little bomb, bombardiers, bomb sites and stuff in there, and they, they carried more bomb weight than they weighed. It was the only airplane that did that big Rolls-Royce engine in them. And they were for aircraft carrier type planes. And anyway, so uh, we got, they would give you an extra, made $96 a month in the Navy. So they would give you an extra $50 or sometimes <clears throat> more if, if you got a few hours in the, to fly. And you never flew. I mean, you just, they always, in the bigger planes, they took a hydraulic mechanic, a electrical mechanic, and then a, a mechanic. No tools, you just went. <laughs> and so, and once, once in a while, a plane would like lose an engine or something, those four engine or two engine planes, and they'd land them out in the desert, like Gila Bend or Wickenburg or out someplace, Kingman, 
wherever there was a dirt strip or an air, they'd land them, and then, of course, you would eat your little box lunch, which was horrible, and then they would send the mechanics out there with the pickups and stuff, and they'd work on the planes, and then you'd fly it out of there. But you never got to do that. So shit. did you fly? I learned to fly in Paso Robles. I flew quite a little bit. Mm. A Satabria little tail dragger, and then a Cessna 150. But in the Navy, you were no, just I a didn't professional ever, no, passenger. Just a professional passenger, and they just had to have those ratings in the airplane. So you got to go. And that paid you, so extra. Flight paid, so it was cool. Just flying around the desert. Yeah, for $96 a month. In the Navy. And then... <laughs> Then no, for that was just the first two years. Then they had the gall to send me to San Diego, and I got on a USS Boxer aircraft carrier. And that was a good job. I really liked that. I was an LSO yellow shirt on the flight deck, and I ran number three elevator, and that was the one that stuck out over the side. So you the planes would land on there, and you'd take your flashlight or wands and you would point at this one that's a wheel they would stop and then you'd bring the tail of it around you'd park them on this elevator and there was room about that much room is all boy some of them pilots would not go out because all they seen was water they couldn't see the nothing else <clears throat> sky and water so some of them wouldn't drive out there on that elevator and you'd be telling them come on come on no they wouldn't <laughs> so the after you know the good pilots did, but those new ones they would scare hell out of them. So the officer would run down out of the island, down onto the flight deck, and jerk them out of that airplane, chew their ass out, and then they get in and park it, fold the wings up and down to the oh to the uh, hangar deck where they stored the airplanes. I always wondered how that worked. Wow, so them, them airplanes stay underneath. Yeah, and yep. then that elevator going. brings them up, mm -hmm. and they turn them around and. Turn them around, hook them on the ass. Did you ever wave anybody off the boat? We had a couple of them fall off of it. <laughs> yeah. Did you wave them off? No, wave them off. No wonder they didn't drive out there where you were pointing. They fell off of the other guy's side. Right, but, right. Hey, old uh, Paul, he knocked one off yesterday. I ain't. He's waving me out. He's wrong. <laughs> What's this old guy know? That air he don't know carrier me. took a mile to turn around, you know. And they'd be doing... 30 some knots which is 40 miles an hour the fastest they could go usually 30 miles an hour so they go out and make a big circle and come around and sometimes the, they call them ups as a hups then they're a helicopter and uh then they would big son of a bitch too and they would come off the flight deck and uh, fly out there and drop a little sling down there and the pilot would be waving at you standing on the wings took them a long time to sink I was, it amazed me I mean, <laughs> did they, they, they just didn't did like they kept, and the plane's gone or did oh, they winch on it or history Whew. that's an that's expensive, an expensive little foul expensive up right little there a couple of million drop several of them and then they were inventing a hook one year while we were on that chip and they had a electric hook they were trying to invent to make it quick so they could t come by on the flight deck you had like 25 brand new jeeps they'd hook onto them and fly over to the beach where the marines were doing practicing their war crap they'd drop i don't know how many jeeps in the water brand new <laughs> really yeah and i said i asked one of them scientist guys that were working on electrical person on this hook that kept breaking 
And I said, well, why wouldn't you use a chunk of cement weighed the same as a bee? as a jeep, jeep would and he said well we don't have cement blocks but we got a lot of jeeps <laughs> <laughs> that was his answer <laughs> i don't know how many I, I know there's 15 20 of them where we were floating around <laughs> at the bottom <laughs> holy cow and what <laughs> but that's how our government operated what what year is this how old are you you're 17 to uh, 21 i joined the navy when in 1955 55 but you don't you don't get on the boat for two years so you're probably 17. 20 years old yeah 20, 20, most. 21 20 21 20 probably tasted alcohol i got out of them when you join it when you're 17 and a half and you join then they call that a kitty cruiser because you get out on your 21st birthday so like you do three years and several months mm. most of the time you join the navy after you're 18 is four years oh really Shortest tour that you got. Mm. And so you stayed stateside the whole time, though? Well, when I was on the, the, the aircraft carrier, we would leave San Diego and go offshore. In fact, you could barely see it, Korea. And they would fly those shot up, broken down airplanes that would still fly a little bit. And they'd bring them and land them on the aircraft carrier. And the pilots would stay then on the aircraft carrier with you. They were crazier than shithouse rats, those fighter pilots. Anyway, the, the, they were funny. They're good guys. But they would, then we'd get a load of those beat-up airplanes, take them to San Diego. They'd take them off of the crane. Then they would put really brand-new or rebuilt, really good aircraft on there. You'd go out, maybe. You barely could see Korea. They would, then they'd get on the planes, and they'd catapult them off, and they'd fly to their base in Korea until their tour was up. Did you guys ever catch any fire over there when you were that no. close? No. How long of a trip was that from San Diego to Korea? A month. Jiminy Pete. Stay out there about a month. Sometimes three oh. months was the <clears throat> longest that we stayed. But how long did it take just to get to Korea from San Diego? Well, it would take just two or three weeks. Two or three weeks. Wowzer. Wow. And then you'd float around out there a while and have submarine practice and stuff trying to send a, a little plane it was called a sss and it would uh, had two big engines a little stubby nose and it carried torpedoes so the helicopter would go up and with the pilots were flying around up there in the fighter plane and they would spot a submarine down there someplace because a lot of times you see quite a long ways down to see them they'd drop the sonar ball off of the helicopter would take off and go find it and he'd drop the sonar ball, and he'd find out exactly how big it was, where it was, and which direction it was going. And then this little airplane would take off, and it, he was a to launch off of there. He was a pretty good size, but he'd get up. Then he would go drop the he'd torpedo. torpedoes. torpedoes and uh, canisters, and they'd blow up and saw them. We never did sink it. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, submarines, but they were... They were um, is that Dima? I'll call him back. It's Randy. Well, answer, oh, you answer, can answer, answer him. Answer. Go ahead. Yeah. It don't answer. matter. Yeah. Answer. Right. He's probably telling me he's in Blythe and his leg hurts. <laughs> I can find him again. He's right. So, so we didn't ever sink any submarines. No, no. They'd hit the ship once in a while. They'd have a practice, a wooden torpedo. They're great, big white with a big red head on them. You know, and you'd be. They'd say, here it comes. So the only fire you caught was friendly. And you'd watch, you'd watch it coming through the water. It'd be about 10 foot deep. 
it come and it go hit the side of that ship and it bounce off. <laughs> Damn, that's not good. <laughs> we had a hell of a hell of a time. Sometimes the little destroyers that were your guards, your camp, you know, yeah, be two in front, one in front, one behind, one in front, one behind, four usually, and they were little bitty bastards, but they were. Tin cans, they called them, and they but and they would intercept that torpedo a lot of times, or if they knew what direction it was coming, they'd kick off a couple of those big canisters and they'd blow up and kind of turn it, you know, or this they would uh, it would explode. But uh, the wooden ones wouldn't; they just pop up out of the water. Huh. If you knocked the hell out of them, that propeller would quit on a torpedo, and then it would just float to the top. Mm. It was kind of. Fun. It was all right. Didn't you do some boxing when you were in, well, the, I was Navy? in the Navy? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. When we was at Litchfield Park, that was a horrible place to be raised. <laughs> like Indio, almost. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, but it was fun. You know, two minute rounds, three rounds. They called them smokers. They weren't, weren't much. Within, and the- you always thought you could box a little bit, but they're always like one kid came from the Philippines. He was about six foot, maybe eight. Six, six eight. eight? I mean, I'm sorry, five eight for oh. a Filipino. Oh. But he was like, six foot, yeah. Worthy. And, uh, but he's a professional fighter and a good one. In fact, he'd go to Phoenix and fight at the, and make a little money and fight. Uh, professional. And you always thought you were pretty clever until you run into one of them. And then <laughs> you knew damn well that you weren't clever at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Roy Clark, you know, he wanted to be the hee-haw champion, you know. He wanted to be uh, a fighter when he was young. And he had 16 professional fights. And he said Roy he Clark, yes. the singer did? Yeah, and so he was he pretty good size. Yeah. So anyway, he... Was he in the Navy was, with you? He was, no. Oh. He was getting along good, he said. This is just an interview they were... Talking to yeah. him, and he said, "He said I, I was doing pretty good." He says, and then they took me to an eight rounder, pretty good fight. He said, and I quit after that. He said, "I thought I could fight till I run into a fighter." <laughs> he, said, he said, and then that I found out that you know, fighting those little club fights and those, you know, you could whip one or two of them. But he said, "Not a real fighter, no more for me." So, <laughs> Where's my banjo? That's yeah. a different level. <laughs> yeah, I'll just sing about it. <laughs> yeah, boy, what a what a musician! Huh? You uh, see yeah. him on that country. They call it country uh, band reunion. It's mm-hmm. a program Bill Anderson has it at night on the weekends. They have all the old. That's why it's a reunion. All the old that are still alive, kind of old singers and band people. And he's on there, and oh, he's senile as hell, won't have it. Man. They but, help him. But he He'll can start to play. tell a story, and he gets like this. And he, but he still plays good. He's, un- he, he, he's unbelievable. Oh, he is. It's incredible. It's good he didn't go to boxing because he probably wasn't going to stand out, but he can play like anything. Unbelievable. Banjo, fiddle, guitar, of course. A little yeah. bit on the piano. I Me, mean, just so. talented guy. Unbelievable. You've done a fair bit of musician in yourself. Yes. All my so kids, when did that start? All my kids played good. In the Navy, 
did it. kids from Louisiana that were bluegrass. I love love bluegrass music, but and they could uh, always played a little bit at home and. Uh, as a kid. Yeah. My guitar. mother bought my first guitar from Monkey Wards. had a covered wagon painted on it. It was a pretty neat <laughs> little guitar, $9. <laughs> I'll tell you how poor we was. She paid a dollar a month on that little guitar till it was paid for. No kidding. <laughs> huh. Now, did, was she musical herself? No. No, just bought you a guitar. My dad was very musical. Oh, he was. My, my mother, no. Not not artistic no nothing and huh. she would write us letters and stuff after we got married moved away and all that and we get i had to send them to my sister who was the only one that could read them oh really and she kept my mother as she got older my mother lived to 99 wow but she uh <clears throat> oh it was the most horrible handwriting you ever saw <laughs> me there's no way to figure out what the hell a letter said <laughs> My sister been around it so much. They could have used her in the war, maybe for code. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> code breaker. Her in the Navajo. But my family was not, not, no brothers, no sisters, no nobody was in animals, you know, horses or cows or no nothing. Oh, just you. Were the rest of them artistic as well? I, my sister was an unreal good painter. Really? Yeah, she mm. was very talented, really talented. That was it. Right. So when you get in the Navy there and you got them guys from Louisiana, get more into the bluegrass. Oh, yeah, they could play. Yeah. So that's basically where I learned to play pretty good. Then when I got out of the Navy, I played in a few bands in the bars and stuff, you know. Sure. When we was in the Navy, we had a little band, so we'd go at night playing them nightclubs, bars. They weren't nightclubs. And the first one we got was... We walked in the bar with our little satchel, you know, and the guitars in the case. There's three of us. And we walked in there, and a kid from Louisiana is a singing little bird. God damn, he knew every song, too. He could sing good and play good. So we walk in there. He's a little bitty guy. Eugene Johnson was his name. We walk in there, and this bar is dark as hell in there. And there's a, it's out there by Buckeye out in the country. Then a few at the table, and we look out. So we look at the stage. Well, the stage is a little bigger than his table, basically. And uh, we look at it, but it's all surrounded with wire, chicken wire and cage <laughs> wire, we think. And he says, no, you guys got to go through that door and come in the back. <laughs> so we got in there. And so we're playing a few songs, and this one Mexican comes in, and he sits down beside another and takes out a knife about that long out of his boot and sticks it under the bar right there between his legs, and that's where that stayed. <laughs> and then they had a few beers, and then one would get pissed and throw it, and then the reason all that wire was is to keep from tearing the hell out of your instruments is them beer bottles and fly off of the chicken wires. We said, do we really want to play this bad? And uh, I think we made 20 bucks a night a piece or something like that. And damn, it was pretty scary. And, but we paid, Better $96 a month in the Navy. Oh, and then I got married. Then I really did good because I got a, about a $3 raise and my wife made $90. That's what we lived on. Never, so when never do you get married? Yeah, never broke day. Got, so got married in the navy. Oh, in the navy. Was in the navy. Yeah. Eighteen. They oh. asked me how long you've been married. I said forever. <laughs> what the hell? It's been forever. Three how many wives? <laughs> Just three. Just three. That was the first one, I presume. First one. Yeah. The one that the mother of the children. Beautiful, beautiful. Half Cherokee. 
Oh, that's why. Beautiful lady. Good skin. Pretty. Yes. But she, I drove her crazy, so I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were y'all married? 19 years. All pretty smooth sailing, huh? No. <laughs> I would just show up missing. I'd go to California, stay with Harold, like for two or three weeks, and send a little money home so they could eat, and that'd be about it. Then I'd go back. And three kids with her? Yeah. Yep. I don't know how they didn't have me killed. <laughs> but then I married Betsy, who was a millionaire type, you know, so never had to want for anything. And I drove her crazy. <laughs> See, so a common then denominator. Then I met Dima, and she was the only tough one. <laughs> I couldn't break her down. I tried. <laughs> and how long have you and Dima been married? 30 years. No kidding. Well, I'm, 80, uh, I'm 83, sober. so that means I've been married a long years. time. Yeah. So you married her after you quit drinking? No, during. Or I wouldn't have married her if I'd have been sober. Junker <laughs> and the fiddlers, we got married at Reno. Dwayne got it all put together at that Hilton or some big nightclub. <laughs> casino. And so, I had a lot of money at that time, so it didn't bother. You know, we just got married. How long were you married? We had three years of premarital bliss, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then marriage. <laughs> I don't know why, but we did. And uh, then she got Epstein Barr during our marriage. We, were good. we got along all right. And then she and I drank a little. One day I just quit. Oh, really? One day I was sitting out, it's Sunday morning, I was sitting out in my patio at the ranch that we had a couple, 50 acres of permanent pasture and in a barn, you know, everything you would want. And uh, it came in a dowry. Dima had inherited it from her first husband. I, I tell everybody she killed the poor bastard with poison mushrooms. He went to the hospital <laughs> and never did know why he died. But, <laughs> well, it's a little dicey for yeah. you. <laughs> so... And we'd be, we'd have people over, and they'd say, she'd cook something, and I'd say, don't, don't eat those mushrooms. Don't eat those mushrooms. <laughs> they'd say, why? And I'd say, well, I'll tell you why. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. But uh, she got Epstein Barr. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of they it. They sleep I don't forever it and meaner than a freaking rattlesnake. <laughs> Boy, I mean mean. And so we had a lot of hell, so I just packed my van and my horse, and I left. I said, you just go ahead and you stay as crazy. She ran all her friends off, cussed everybody, wouldn't come out of the house, wouldn't get dressed, run around her frickin' nightgown, and <laughs> and, she, and if anybody come by or the phone rang, she'd go straight to the bedroom and slam the door. <laughs> so we knew something was, you know, not correct. So... Finally, they went. I went back home, and I said, finally, they found out they had a a clinic in Lake Tahoe that the doctors shared, and they would all go up there and spend a week or two, uh, and they traded off, you know, so they because they didn't charge nobody for it. But they were studying that Epstein bar. Benny had a customer with that. It was just not a good, not a funny thing. Mm. What happened? So they drew us. They had a little pamphlet they finally gave us. Figured out what the hell happening, 
and it was a picture of your head and a brain and a big space right down through here. And this side of your brain tells this side what to do, and which is true. And the messenger that went over here, he just fell straight down. He never got over it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a little kid's kindergarten book. I mean, it just how the little pictures out of what they said, this is what's happening. So they put her on some kind of whatever, medicines, and uh, calmed her down. And she's been great ever since. But there for a while, boy, she was pretty Pretty crazy. wild. Well, in the meantime, I'm sitting out on the porch wondering, why in the hell did I come back? She's still a little shady. <laughs> and uh, I had about, oh, 50 cows left. They were all paid for. And I thought, God damn it. While I was gone, she run the credit cards up to about 16000 so I had to sell <laughs> half my cows. That pissed me off. But anyway, so we're back to level again. And I've had this glass of vodka, which I loved, just room temperature vodka to sip on. And I'm, it's 10 in the morning. And <laughs> I'm just thinking, which is impossible, but I thought I was thinking. And so this car drives in, and it's a veterinarian and his wife that I hadn't seen for months. And she was an alcoholic, crazy son of a... So she gets the veterinarian's out of, wife. Yeah, she yeah. gets out of the... He's a nice guy. He's hand-pecked his hell. He didn't know what's going on. But she got out, walked up, and she had lost like 50, 60 pounds and looked like a different person and she said i said where in the hell have you people been she says well i've been in rehab seven or eight months ago and i haven't drank since and i said you look great and she did i thought wow so anyway we visited a little bit she said you ought to try it someday and she just drove off so i was sitting there thinking well i'm going nowhere with this damn glass of vodka in the last 30 years and uh then they would say at the meetings, they'd say, why did you quit drinking, Jim? Well, because three wives and about five or six ranches and maybe a couple of million dollars. <laughs> and it's all gone. So maybe you ought to stop and think, why? So anyway, I set the glass down, poured the vodka out on the flowers, went in the house, got the newspaper, and thumbed through it, where it has a list of churches and things, and said a meeting at the little town of Wheatland had maybe 200 people in it. And Tuesday night, so I just walked in. Never had a drink since. 33 years ago. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, which was a blessing. And I've never even thought about a drink since. Going back. So Dima was still <clears throat> drinking pretty good. So every night she'd drink a little bit, scare hell out of me, trying to carry a hot frying pan full of boiling grease and a pork chop or something. And I think, you're going to fall on your ass and scald yourself and all this. So anyway, I... Finally, I'd get mad at her to make her go sit down. I'd finish supper or whatever. So I'm sitting in my big chair, feeling sorry for myself. And I said, turn that light out for me. She got the stupid little dog, that Pomeranian in her arms. <laughs> she staggers up there and reaches up to pull the chain because I didn't want to. I wanted to just light out, but I wanted the fan going. So she pulls it. Oh, here she goes and falls. Throws the dog in the air. Thank God she didn't fall on that poor little bastard. <laughs> she hooks this elbow and drives that shoulder right straight out. Oh, oh. So she's laying there, and I thought, well, just lay there then. I didn't even get up. I, <laughs> she's going, oh, I don't get so. 
drunk and pissed me off because I'd quit drinking. So the drunks made me aggravated. Now they make you mad. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> then I think, well, she's laid there long enough. So I got up. I said, well, do you want to sit up? She didn't say a word. And so I pulled her up. Oh, she squealed like a pig under a gate when I pulled her. <laughs> and I thought, well, damn, I'm trying to pick her up. And she don't weigh much. And I'm trying to pick her up. And I can't. She's, I mean, she's squealing. So I go in the bathroom, get a big bath towel, and I wrap it around her waist just to get a hold of that. And then I pull her up whether she squealed or not and got her sitting up on the couch. And I, she said, oh, my arm, my arm, my arm, my arm. And I, I look at her, well, yeah, it looks funny, but you'll be all right. I drag her into the bedroom and go get some frozen peas out of the freezer and slap it on there and i said i will nah. fix that broken shoulder yeah, yeah. well she's about 15 20 minutes later i can hear her in there she's complaining so i said, go get her get her pajamas or sweats on and down to the hospital we go take her in there and they x-ray it this takes four hours sitting there. I'm pissed again now. <laughs> and she says, they come in and said, there's no way we got a doctor at this little hospital that couldn't even start fixing that. What? No, it's, 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 it's really bad. I thought, oh, so call a doctor that's in Phoenix at a big hospital. And he says, he's shoulder specialist. So they... Nowadays, you know, they just type that thing in and they send x-rays right over to the... Right. Hell, he's got them in two seconds and he's looking at them on the disc and he says, Jesus Christ, I can't fix this. He says, it's over my head. He said, but there's a guy at uh, the hospital, the trauma center where they fixed my arm. They, they, he's there, but it's a holiday. He said, and he's on duty. Now, whether he's there or not, I don't know. So he said, but I'll try him. But by God, he was just getting ready to leave. He was there, and they send them x-rays to him over the phone and on his little computer. He said, tell you what you do. You tell that girl and her husband, you get here at this hospital right this very second. And he said, I'll have everything ready. So we walked into this great big-ass hospital, and they said, are you... Dima Paul, she said, yeah, I said, come with me. We didn't sign in, do nothing. They just, they, he had it all fixed up, went upstairs. And they x-rayed it again, and he ordered all the parts. Well, he didn't have the right shoulder part, so he had to <laughs> order it, which took another day, but he got the right size. They do everything by x-rays. I said, how do you know what size of knee I got? You didn't do nothing but take a picture of it. He said, that's how we know what size of knee you need. I huh. said, well, that's pretty good i thought they'd measure and find out you know no they just look at a picture so that's a size something anyway so the next so the next day morning they reversed her shoulder they took this ball that fits up here and put the ball up here and put the cup here put down there they make them out of plastic and shit ceramics and whatever <laughs> and put her together and she's just perfect she had to heal up a little bit, but it was a hell of a mess. She hadn't had a drink since. That's well, five or six say. years ago. I oh, took, when wow. I went home, I took every bottle of whatever, which was a lot, and I took <laughs> it right to the dumps, right straight out to a big dumpster, threw everything away, everything. She's she she still smoking? Oh, well, you can't stop that. <laughs> you know, she had x-rays while she was in there, and her, her lungs was as clean as a newborn baby's. 
And he said, sometimes them heavy smokers, once in a while, you'll find where they, their lungs are. She smoked since she was 10, you know. Yeah. Pack a day or more. And I said, her lungs cannot be perfect. He said, oh, yeah. What happens is that her throat, lar larynx, what larynx, do you call it? Yeah. It's got little hairy things in it that, that makes you cough. Supposed to. Uh -huh. Well, hers are coated with sure. nicotine and smoke. And they said, that's going to cause you trouble. She says, you better quit. Because don't look all like now she's got one of them little inhaler things she has to mm. breathe once a day or she'll choke up a little. Mm. So that pissed me off that I thought sure there'd be a little black spot in her lung and then she'd quit smoking. Oh, right. bulls just clear the bell. <laughs> you lose another argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you win when you're married? Uh, a lot, but I changed my point. Oh. <laughs> that is funny. My <laughs> that is funny. That is, this might be her right now. So how'd you get started on the drinking, Jim? Well, with the Harold Farron and the horse trainers and stuff. I wanted to be a horse trainer. I wanted not to be just you like them. But not young. Not I was probably 20-some years old before I oh, ever drank. Oh, really? Did you have any in your family? No. I wanted to be an athlete. I, I, I was good at track, and I won the shot put things. And I mean, I could get by. And... Uh, I found out it wasn't really that good till I got in the, in the latter part of high school. And half our, where I, Bobby and Ronnie Richards lived across the tracks where the white people lived. I lived over out in the country more, but. How did your, was there a reservation? How did you run across for your first wife? In the Navy. She was oh, working in the at, Navy. A, at a, at That's a, right. at a, car hop you remember those in those days the, the girls would mm -hmm. come out and wait on the side of the car and hook something on the window yep. and bring your trays well she was one of those she's cuter than a button so i just started visiting and pretty soon it got worse and worse and end up married <laughs> <laughs> came in for a burger and came and went out with a wife, well, yeah. with a wife. <laughs> that's how i met her yeah so where was she from there phoenix phoenix yeah mm -hmm. So you never went to the reservation? Never I lived there? I did when I was in the Navy because that's where you could rodeo. Mm. See, so if you had a, a VA card, I mean, in the Navy, you could enter any, do anything you wanted. So it, what rodeo events were you our, doing? Uh, saddle Bronx and Bulls. Now, did we do this but before the But most of the reservations, or? you rode big old Hereford cows and little skinny bucket horses, you know, yeah. off the res. Did you just think this in the Navy, or had you done some of that before you joined up? I did some in, in younger, in, in, in high school, yeah. rodeos mm. and stuff, but not much. Right. But that I did that in the Navy. Was there somebody that got you started into that in high school? Was I mean, who were you leaning on as a mentor? Myself. Just yourself. Just, <laughs> really? It looks like Hell, I want to I had no them. money, and I didn't hang around with Bobby and Ronnie and them. They all had money and good horses and shit. I had nothing. Nothing. Braided my own bull ropes and borrowed a saddle. Huh. And off you went. So then you get to horse training, go to drinking, and you had held to drink it. because if you wanted to win with those guys that were winning, they were all drunks. You, to, so. you couldn't hang out with them sober. No. <laughs> well, and you know how annoying a drunk is to be someone sober. So <laughs> don't be sober. <laughs> And, well, I just thought that was a way of life. I mean, it was just... It was a way of life more than... Yeah, I mean, it was just what you did. Mm -hmm. 
And all those old guys, them old bridle or spade bit guys, you know, they were, most of them worked on ranches when they were younger. They were cowboys, some of them pretty good bronc riders and stuff, and then got into the horses, and they were just good at what they did. Valdez, Magenny. Mm-hmm. Well, Red Neal was a little older, but he was, he had some of the greatest horses, and Ronnie had uh, got from him, Prissy Luck was her name. She never got beat in the bridal classes. So every time he showed her, she win. But they were raised, and I was raised on the other side of the track, so to speak. So when you... Uh, I escaped. You're free. <laughs> I made it. So you started training, and, and you were fairly handsome. I got right younger out of the Navy, and... I worked in Zinsco Electric Company, and I rode some horses at home on the side. I mean, what I could find to ride. And I made a shit pot full of money as an electrician. I was very young. And And you were in the band. Yeah, but I didn't like it. So I quit. My dad liked to flip. He said, you're making more money at your age. And you're you're <laughs> got to be addicted to poverty. And now you want to go. Yeah. Exactly. Make 400 a week in the electric business. And I went and trained horses for 300 a week on the ranch. Yeah. Todd said a month. 300, a month. A month. Yeah. I was thinking those house. numbers weren't far enough apart. <laughs> 300 a month in a house. Todd and it said, wasn't much of a house. Todd Crawford said we worked 20 hours a day to keep from working eight. <laughs> you got it. Perfect. I never heard that. That's perfect. And, of course, I drug my two children at that time and Betty with me, the wife. And it's a wonder she stayed sane. No, she didn't toward the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> but would well, you, she how could you do you? that to a family if you're very smart? Drag them off into some dirty ranch. In a house, you could throw a cat through the walls. You know, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And when you were making pretty good money. Oh, well. Did you ever apologize to her? No. At the drunk meeting says as you go through all this stuff you do it says in these 12 steps that somewhere in there that you uh, should write amends to the people you offended well that would just take too long (laughs) so I'm thinking who who was the worst one I offended and I'm thinking of the two wives and I was married to Dima by then but Betsy the rich one was the best one as far as being a good human being. Mm-hmm. Except Dima. So I wrote her, oh, Dima was mean. <laughs> so I wrote uh, a letter to Betsy, apologized to her for being an asshole and a drunk. And uh, when we got a divorce, her lawyer in uh, San Francisco, he's not handling her slack very good. She's getting upset. So I've got a little Irish lawyer who's in San Luis Obispo recommended to me for some other divorced friends so i go to him and so i betsy asks you know he wrote her a letter of what i was saying so so she decides she'll use him also (laughs) so which is fine we never fought over a nickel so it worked out all right but he's visiting with her at one of their meetings and he says betsy what you and jim jim never talks bad about you and you don't really talk that bad about why in the world do you want a divorce? I mean, it's like a death in the family. You shouldn't want a divorce. She says, yeah. He says, you go home and think about it and write me a, a little essay on what your problems are. So she does. 
Well, of course, I'm in Hawaii with Don Murphy and Melanie and D-Moon. We're drunker than <laughs> Betsy's home pissed. So I get home, and I go to this nice little lawyer's office for my little consultation. He says, you want to read this letter from Betsy? And I says, well, I, hell, I guess. I mean, it's a, on a legal pad this long, that big, two paragraphs. That's it, two paragraphs. She said, because he's an egotistical, sorry, drunk, lousy, lying son of a bitch. <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> That's what it said. And he looked at me and said, you read it? And I said, didn't take long. I said, yeah, I read it. He says, well, that about cuts it. Let's get the divorce started. <laughs> She laughs about it now, but I didn't think it was funny. <laughs> anyway, she took the ranch and the houses and that, and I took all the equipment, tractors, horses, everything. And we never had a fight over it. In the house, when she went to Phoenix to stay, I took a caravan of women. They had like 10 stock trailers, all ranch people from Marysville and Galusa and around there. There's... There, I say, there was like five or six pickups and these stock trailers empty. We're driving to the ranch to get my stuff uh, in Paso Robles. So we go, and that's a pretty good trip. That's like, you know, seven hours or so. We get there, and in the house is sticky pads. says, <laughs> mine. <laughs> on this picture and then it says yours on that picture on this big red chair it says yours on this chair it's mine and they we're all over the place so the things that said mine we left and the things that said we loaded and all a bunch of horses I took about 35 horses to Demas and she almost Peter pants. <laughs> I just kept unloading horses. She said, how are we going to feed them? I said, well, we'll feed them until we run out of money. Here they are. And, uh, colts and older horses. And lucky you, Dima. Yeah, lucky Dima. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. But it was fun. Then I had about, she had a friend. He was a good old guy. He's a, kind of an ex-sheriff thing. But he was a dispatcher for a trucking company. And he'd get a dead and dead the haul back from, say, mm -hmm. you know, L.A. or something. He'd come through Paso Robles, and I'd have him load up equipment. Gee, I had, like, the big tractors and a big cat and Alice Chalmers 14, very big cat, you know, tractor. D8, about the same size. And, uh, and then a big cross grinder and then another grinder, and I ground a lot of hay feed them cattle. I keep about 200 there all the time. We was in Paso Robles. So I had Gary Belafonte and Don Dodge training there besides myself and needing a lot of cattle. But I got them all from Rudnick at those years. Trucks just kept coming with stuff. Demon would keep saying, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and where was Demon's place at? In Marysville. Marysville. So right down the road from Cotton Rosser, on oh, 40 okay. mile road. And then on down the road a little ways to Ingersoll's. So Horrible you were, he was pretty handsome because even Sean Martin, the secretary at this show right now, says she had a huge crush on him, huge crush, following him around all the time. And he doesn't even know or remember. But so it sounds like not just the alcohol, maybe a little bit of a rounder too. 
tiny. <laughs> a tiny bit. Well, my favorite thing was in his induction speech when Andy said it was like growing up with, what was it? John Wayne, Elvis, and God. <laughs> I think that's what Randy said. Yeah. Well, you know, on those days, uh, you, you know, you run around with those, like Harold, you know, he was the one unreal fighter. In, in the Marines and stuff, he was like fleet champion. He fought some really? big guys. I mean, this son of a bitch was double tough and a little weird. <laughs> and then, I didn't get to meet him until he was 78 years old when I met him. Oh, so. boy, let me tell you, when he was 35 and 40, he's a wild son of a bitch, boy. <laughs> but fun, and uh, he never beat me up, so I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> but he got pictures. His son now is... But he got a picture of Harold a kid carried in his wallet. And uh, he was like 16, 17 when we met him, Donnie. And he, uh, Harold's standing on a diving board. He looks just exactly like all the pictures you ever saw of Charles Atlas. Charles Atlas, yeah. He looked exactly. I wow. mean, arms that freaking big and chest, you know. And then a little, he looked like a chimpanzee, no ass and legs. <laughs> he was huge. And... Uh, See, his, when Harold was raised, his father uh, owned what they call the round pen, the round barn, so they called it. And he trained in Burbank, and he trained, he owned a city block of Burbank. Of course, it all ended up. This was Mark Smith. Right? Mark Smith. Yep. And uh, they did, Harold and his stepbrother, Richard, they did all the vaulting and all the stuff on those horses and then all the Liberty Axe and all the dressage mm. and all that shit. He never even knew what a stock horse was. He was doing dressage horses, horse teaching horses, like eight abreast running around the ring in a circus, you know, all that. I said, how'd you keep him in that little bitty, oh, he got rail about this big. To keep. He said, they only went out once. <laughs> he said, they never jumped back out again. <laughs> so anyway, he... But his brother him did all the vaulting, and uh, you know they run and jump on the springboard. They called it, it was just about that big around, like like trampoline, except it's little. They bounce on that, do a somersault, and land on the horses as they come by, rosin backs, and mm -hmm. and then to make a little extra money, he would do the, uh, he would be a catcher in the high trapeze. Trapeze, uh. just do the catching and stuff, and it, just crazy, <sighs> wow. artistic that way. He went to. His dad had, and he was riding some uh, dressage horses and uh, getting ready for Barnum and Bailey and all the circus people, all, all like Flicka and Smokey and all them trick horses. They trained them all. And then them horses, uh, what's that Mexican roper rode to paint horses? Oh, Monty Montana. Uh, mm -hmm. You know how the horse take his blanket off of him and grab his hat and run off? All those tricks they taught him. That's how Harold taught him. He could do all that. He went to a horse show, and Jimmy Williams was showing, the first time he met Jimmy, showing a little stock horse class. It was just down the road from where he was riding these dressage horses. So he just went over there to see what the hell was going on. He'd never seen a stock horse class. So he watched the horse, and then he started bullshitting with Jimmy a little bit, and he says, well, what's this? what are you doing out there? He said, well, you got to figure eight the horse, change leads, you got to run down, stop, you got to spin. Harold said, well, is it complicating? I mean, is there something special about it? Well, Jimmy said, well, yeah, they got to be in the bread. They got to do this. They got to do that. 
Harold said, Ted, I think I could teach a horse to do all that in 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> he said, and if I couldn't, I'd get another horse or another job. <laughs> Jimmy says, well, why don't you try it? Harold took this little horse they were doing the dressage on. He said it wasn't quite big enough to be a good dressage horse, but a pretty good little horse. He said, so I just fooled with him a little while for a couple of months and took him to the next horse show and said, I won. <laughs> Jimmy says, How, where'd you find him? He said, well, he's just a little horse that couldn't do nothing else, so we just did this with him. <laughs> I pissed that Jimmy laugh. <laughs> they became great friends, of course, and... Uh, <laughs> then Harold just started training those horses, and they just, you know, he had some great ones. But So Harold told me that he started, I don't know if he was the first one to do it, but he said in his application, when they were doing the vaulting, he got teaching them horses to fence and to gallop up there and to slide into that fence, and it was smooth because he could get an extra jump when they were vaulting. They were vaulting in a straight line, and he said and if they would gallop free, and, and slide into that fence, he could get an extra jump from them horses that either stopped at the fence rough or circled off. And them guys, so he was able to win at some of them vaulting deals and do a better show there. And that's why he got them. You know, that's what he, the way he explained yeah. it to me. Well, he had a horse named, uh, as a Palomino horse. But he had that horse, and first time I went to Del Mar, it was a hell of a big show. It was a 10-day thing, American Horse Show Association show, big, and a lot of stock horses. And all the good hands were there, of course. And he would trot his horse around, getting him warmed up, and he could just trot him along and bump him like this. He'd sit down like a little dog, and just, just sit down on his hocks. He'd hold him there a minute, and he'd jump him off and run out there. Then he'd taught the horse to stop in, in the pillars, in the cross ties. But making him sit down and just stop. When he gave him a cue, he lit on his ass now. And, and he stopped that way in the show ring, and he won, of course, on him. He's a little Palomino horse. I can't, I'm trying to remember his name. Everybody loved that little horse, but that he could teach a horse. I sent him a horse from Texas. The guy, kid, two kids drove in in a bobtail truck, and they unloaded. And I mean, these are bronchy bastards. They unloaded them, and he said, well, we've roped about... 14 to 15 wild cows on this horse out in the wheat fields, Texas. And he says, uh, pretty good looking horses. So I like one, so I bought him. The other one I didn't like too good, so they loaded them up and went someplace else with them. They're just trying to sell horses, traveling around, getting rid of these mm -hmm. things. And I bought this little bay horse. I rode him a little bit, but well, he was a scary bastard, one real snorty, and he was. You just had to be careful he didn't strike out here or something. He's a bronchi. But, boy, what an athlete and a good-looking little horse. So I called Harold. I said, you still looking for a pretty good green stock horse? Well, yeah, but I didn't whine around. So I said, okay, and I just hung up. <laughs> First bus I found, I sent him to Harold. He calls me up. What, what the hell am I doing with this horse? Why did you send him? I said, because he might be the best horse you got. He said, son of a bitch. <laughs> he goes out the next morning. First thing, my phone rings. He says, now listen, I caught this horse and I saddled him. He says, he's a little different. I said, well, yeah. I said, but he's okay. I said, he'd never buy. He said, if he bucks me off, I'm coming to Phoenix and beat the continental out of you. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, now listen. He's never bucked here at my house. <laughs> what did he, he, he rode him. 
And did you ever know Jim McNulty, little fat guy, little saddle maker? I didn't know him. He I rode some saddles. B yeah, blowed yeah. his head off in Texas. Here. He's a good friend of ours and a really good friend of Gary Belafonte's. So anyway, Jimmy, he's got Jimmy on him. Boy, this is a juicy, quick son of a bitch. So he gets him on him, he says. And Jimmy just went to work for him, McNulty. He says, now, run him down the fence there, not too fast. Just run him and roll him back a few times and get a little feel of him. He runs down, picks that rein up, and just right over his head, slap that <laughs> fat little kid on the ground. Well, he gets big tears in his eyes, and he's whining around. Harold chews his ass out and makes him get back on. Ropes the circle. Okay, go down, turn him the other way. Well, he ain't wanting to, but he does right off over his shoulder on his head. So Harold says, oh, Jesus. Well, Gary Belafonte just went to work for him. So he says, uh, and Tim Stewart and Gary both. And so he says, okay. I got a trap for this horse. And next morning, Gary's sleeping there in the house, and he's living with Barbara, then his wife, and she was a bronky sandwich by herself. <laughs> so he, they get up early, and Harold says, go out and catch, they named him Whiskey Bill. And he was a hell of a horse trainer, Whiskey Bill, but the name fit him, he drunk all the time. But he had a pretty good hand. He says, go get Whiskey Bill, bring him up, tack him, brush him off, saddle him up. Gary comes back in, I can't catch him. He says, what? He's in a little run in a stall. I says, what do you mean? You go get your ass back out there and get that horse. Well, Gary goes, pouch. You ever been around Belafonte? It's comedy. So anyway, he's pouting, and he goes out there, and he comes back in. I can't catch him. Okay, Harold goes out, fools around him, and catches him. He said, Gary, I can teach this horse to walk over and put his foot in the back bucket right there in three days. Gary said, you can't, you can barely catch him yourself. <laughs> Three days later, he says, come on, Gary, watch this. He tells, gets a halter on that horse, shakes it around a little bit, points at that horse, walks up, puts his foot in it. <laughs> but he trained all them trick horses, you know, all his wow. life. <laughs> Were you ever around him? No. Oh, I would never was. Dude. Unreal. Magic. Yep. But anyway, so they ended up selling him, and they won a bunch of stock horse and metal classes and stuff on him. He's a great little horse, but he was a particular horse. He might kick you when you try to get on or something. You know, he just said one of those little alley bastards, but boy, <laughs> what an athlete. <laughs> but those were fun days. My goodness. <laughs> I'm a little mind blown at the moment. <laughs> I can tell. So how in the world? I can tell you more stories about those people. Oh boy. And did you ever go back around Barbara Worth and all that oh, stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to watch Ray. Uh, what's his name? The 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 trick horse, the funny guy. Did all the 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 first guy that did all the clinics. Ray Ray Hunt. 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 So you know he worked for Tom Marvel at the time oh yeah and uh, out on battle mountain and he rode he, ray could ride a bucking horse now no doubt about it but he had some funny ways that you'll know, get on ride him around with no halter on or nothing and steer him with a last rope and well then tom marvel was classy at one time bronc rider as there was so he goes out there and he's got his little crew and he says you boys go catch that little pen full of horses there ray's been riding them let's go we got to go gather big chunk of Battle Mountain, which is like, be gone all day. Well, some of them walked back. <laughs> a couple of them, they never did find their saddle or horses. And he chewed on that raised ass. <laughs> so 
You couldn't, well, you know, first time they pulled them, they'd never been pulled. They just scared the hell. They just bogged their head and bucked, you know, or run off. And so Tom got Ray straightened out some to start pulling on them a little. And then Ray kind of got where he would. He didn't like it, but he trained him weird, you know. So then he goes to Santa Rosa, Ray does, and he's got this son that's spinning around. Ray could train, could do tricks on a horse pretty good and a good bronc rider. So he's riding his horse around Santa Rosa, first snaffle bit thing, big one. The one they ended up having at Reno. So he's running him around there and up down through the grass in the parking lot and they all, everybody's thinking it's going to be hard to beat. This son bitch could jump up and turn around and do some things, see. So the day of, next day of the show, so he's out there warming him up, and he runs him off out there and gives him a little bump. This son bitch bogs his and breaks in two, bucks down through, jumps between the trailers and the pickups and down and around. <laughs> Finally, Ray fell off, and the horse ran around. And that's the last they seen of Ray at the horse show. Never did come back. <laughs> <laughs> and... Then he, so Barbara and I, we were at the, watching Ray at this Sacramento, at the fair, he had a little round grill, that portable, put up in his hand. At that time, he had a big old stout wife, and so he put this little black horse in there, and he chased this little bastard, and Barbara knew him pretty good, and chased this little black horse till he was snow white with lather, and then he got, he's a bronky little bastard, no doubt, but... And then he saddled him, and then he chased him some more, and he wore out a couple of saddle horses chasing us. It took like two hours, and they're chasing this little son of a bitch all over the place. And Barbara says, well, my God, I could ride him after that. He's just close to death. He just can't hardly breathe, and he's pant. And Ray gets on, he rides him around a minute. Nothing on his head. Just gets on him, rides him around a minute. His wife's standing right by the gate. He goes around. This little summit got his second wind, bucked him off right in front of everybody. <laughs> so she runs and grabs him by his Levi jacket and shakes him and props him back up on his feet. And, she, and uh, Barbara knew what she was saying to him. She said, you get back on this horse in front of all these people. She said, we got to make a living here. So he staggers around and gets back on. Well, by that time, the little horse was a little better, and he runs around, herds him around with a last rope on this like you'd steer an ostrich with a broom you know? <laughs> uh -huh. he gets him around there and his wife's smiling by then she opens the ground curl gate and nothing but asphalt and cars oh my <laughs> lord <laughs> out through there he goes staring this little zumbitch everywhere and finally she herded him back into the thing and the crowd just goes nuts and claps and stuff. <laughs> and Frank said, well, you know Jim, don't you? She says, yeah, I remember he would come around the ranch all the time. He was a cute little duffer. <laughs> <laughs> so that damn Frank, he'd always tell her, he's a cute little duffer. Here he's in. <laughs> <laughs> but I was quite a bit older. But those, those experiences were just fun to be around. And those people were great horsemen. Like the barbers and all those people. Sure. So how but you learn good stuff with all that alcoholism and you have all the fun stuff, but how they were able to be so phenomenal and also tearing themselves up constantly. Well, it's it was almost. I always called it, it was almost as I got older. It's almost like carnival people. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to the horse show, everybody helped everybody, put the tack rooms up and stuff, and everybody was just, everybody was just helping everybody all the time. And there was a few old, 
Like Red Neal, he kind of stood off by himself a little bit, but he was a damn drunk. First, I was around him three or four years, never said a word to me. One day I was coming down to Barnell, he said, hey, boy, come here. And he's a big old stout guy and an unreal horse trainer, good one. And so he says, here's 10 bucks, you going to town? I said, well, a little bit. He says, bring me back a bottle of scotch. And after that, we were pretty good friends. And he drank a bottle of scotch every day, you know, just of it and sip on it. And I hated scotch, but I'd drink it if there was nothing else, but <laughs> I didn't like it. But uh, that's how I got to meet him. And they, everybody just was friendly, kind of. You know, very few... Very few fighting things or arguing things. Macklin Between was a little bit of a shit disturber, but he was <laughs> a good hand. But it's funny that you say carnival people because just when we were unloading here the other day, Clay he says, Bomer, he says, you ever feel like we're just in a circus? <laughs> we just travel around. And yeah. It's like, and basically, because I mean, him and Aaron and I, we ride together a lot, you know, and we always seem to be stalled That's close funny. to each other. And I mean, and shoot, we all brought our feet out here in the same trailer. I think uh, he drug a truck out here for Clayton Edsel. And so we threw Tormino, had an extra trailer. And so we hooked that to Clayton's truck and we put all our feet in that four horse trailer and hauled it out here. And then we just went through and unloaded my feet at my stalls yeah. and Aaron's feet at her stalls and Clay's feet at his stalls. And he says, it's like being in a damn carnival. We're just driving around together, set stuff up. And just, yep, well, stop and, just and go think in. about it. Well, yep. Each show uh, you yeah. go to is just up buckets, hang buckets, throw a feed, do clean, load up, and go to the next one. Yep. Yeah. Just saying. Well, you know. I, I, but it's a fun life. I mean, I, it is I fun. wouldn't have traded it for the world. It is amazing that we had talked to Bozo Rogers a while back, and one of the greatest horse trainers he ever knew was a full-blown drunk drank himself to death but how that guy and he was also very talented with the art and the stuff he said how that guy was able to come up with the things he could come up with but not ever be able to shake the alcohol he didn't well look at my son that just passed away you know he couldn't never get away could from you. the whiskey you know the beer same, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is, yeah. But yeah, it's, and it breaks your heart. I mean, you see people like that all the time. Hugh Martin was a pretty good horse trainer in Arizona. I mean, California. Kind of a, no offense, oaky bread guy. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good hand, you know, been around livestock. Ooh. Drank himself complete, Mac Lynn, <clears throat> completely mm -hmm. to death. I mean, to drink to death. Yep. Now a lot of that, a lot of us Okies Pretty sad. are hard drinkers and uh, think uh, that Irish influence. Don't mess with tigers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I don't know if Norwegians drank that much, but I know I did. But it's just, right. it's, I got some Norwegian. But too. just some, just some of those people that you're sad for. Yes. I know. And, uh, I've seen a bunch of it, but and there's people that can drink. Well, look at all Benny life. Benny Catron could drink as much as I did, and I would be a drunk, and he would get by. Be function, yeah. You know, but just different people. How they their makeup. You know, they could just Harold. You know how how bad could he get? And I never seen him fall down. All right. Mm. Yeah. He he told me one time. He said he don't waste no liquor after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True story. 
Yeah, and some just, people can just, just handle it. Just and, different. But some of the some of the greatest ones get themselves in a spot where it's dominating them. And then uh, other ones just go on forever. Yeah, so, but there's, it's, uh, it's, uh, once they get sick, though, there's no return. <clears throat> you know, and their kidneys go to hell. And oh, yeah, right. It kills them. Yeah, and then if they can't, if they don't want to quit, you can't make them quit. Oh, hell no. It's a waste I took of... Jimmy, I drug him to I don't know how many drunk meetings, <laughs> and he said, and then he tells somebody, the only reason I go is for my dad. My dad wants me just to, to get him get him off my back. But, yeah. So I said, "Well, don't go." You know, I mean, hell, you ain't doing you no good. You go to the meetings drunk. So, I mean, why in the hell? Do <laughs> just don't go. You know why? When mm. you're ready, you'll quit. Mm -hmm. Never did make that. Some of them don't. You just got to make it. I got a nephew right now that got on the alcohol and drugs and everything. Working booger and nice guy, and work, but. He'd get off a while, and he wouldn't. And he'd it come to where he was living in the street, come home to my sister's with a... <laughs> he had a backpack with a toothpaste and toothbrush and one or two other things. I mean, that's it. And they dropped him off out here in the middle of Arizona at some ranch where they put on shows. It's not far from here. And he's gone straight. But they... All the trying in the world before that, before he came home and said he wanted to quit, worthless. Hey, Chris, I couldn't help but notice when I was over at your house riding the other day how incredible your ground was, both inside in the cutting pin and outside in the run-by pin. We keep that crown nice and even with our arena works, drags, and water wagons. And Randy Snodgrass down there in Joshua, Texas, he does a great job. He comes out and makes sure I've got everything I need. He'll help me get that arena set up, the drag set up to fit each pin. Show me how to, I mean, he's super hands-on, does a great job. You can call him for any of your consulting needs as well. That's one of the biggest things about having a good drag is having someone you can call and know how to run it. Well, that's it. And drag's no better. It's like a bridle, Russell. If you don't know how to run it, it doesn't do you no <laughs> right. good. You can go buy you a $500 better hackamore, and if you don't know how to run the rascal, I mean, you, you might as well have bought you a $10 <laughs> deal down at the feed store. And they've got drags to fit every budget and every discipline's needs. My family's trusted Arena Works for three generations. My grandfather, my mom, my dad, my uncles. I've known Randy longer than he's had his son, William, who will also help you out down there. The fact they've been in business that long, Chris, attests to the amount of effort they put into it and how trusted they are. If they were putting out a bad product, they'd be done by now. You're darn right. Check them out at snodgrassequipment.com. Or you can email them at arenaworksinfo at sbcglobal.net. And that is A-R-E-N-A-W-E-R-K-S info info at sbcglobal.net don't be afraid to give them a call at 817-645-5200 that's 817-645-5200 randy you know when he was young he rode bulls for about eight years randy was a good bull rider and he trained a little bit but not not that seriously and uh, but he, he he tried to drink, but he got the wooden tongue, blue tongue, boy, he'd choke. And I mean, oh, 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 and, and it had poisoned him. And what a blessing. Lucky. Never drink since. Lucky, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and that was lucky. 
I'd, I'd look back and say, it's been good for me. Or if I'd had hangovers or got Ronnie Richards, we get him drunk. And that bitch was worthless for a month. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get the migraines and get sick and throw up. You know, two days later, he still got all going his head and throwing up. Migraines and making sick. And I guess some people it does. Uh -huh. And... Uh, I told him that's what you get for having a brain that's trying to work. That's, right. why, you, that's why your head hurts. <laughs> you don't have headaches if you don't if your brain don't work. <laughs> oh, shit. But he couldn't drink at all, Ronnie. He'd try. Yeah. But now Bobby, Ingersoll, he he could drink a little. <laughs> Boy, that was fun living down the road from him. And then, like one time we just, I woke up and I thought, Jesus, I'm tired and it's, everything's a shit. And I just get in a pickup. It's like five in the morning. So I drive over, get Jack Denton up, and I said, come on, let's go. Well, I'm, where are we going? I said, come on. So we go to the liquor store and buy half a gallon of VO. We go get John Hoyt. John, he ain't wanting in, but we'd goad him into it and sitting in a pick. I said, let's go. We're going to go fishing. Where? I said, at the coast. Harold Farron's got a cousin, got a boat. We're going. Oh, Jesus, we can't go like that. And I just start down the road. Oh, he ended up in Indio. And then where do he live in that town? I forget, Harold. Something city. Industrial city, is that Maybe what so. they call yep. Something yep. like that. Anyway, so we get Harold. He gets, well, we're going to get Ronnie Richards. He's just down the road. He's horrified. <laughs> we tell him we're coming to get you. Well, he he leaves. <laughs> so we get there, and Karn had just bought a bunch of new lawn furniture. So we just throw it on their roof. <laughs> and then we go to the barn, and the little Mexican cleaning the stalls. He is horrified. And I'm the littlest one of all of us. So... He's pretty scared. We walked down through there and about half drunk. We get in there, and we said, Ronnie left, huh? And he said, yeah. He says, I said, well, okay. So we says, we just take about 10 of the best bridled head stall that you could get. I mean, all silver fancy stuff. And we just take it. We call Ronnie back a little later that day and say, hey, Ronnie, we're going fishing. We're going to pick you up, and this is it. Well, I'm not going. I said, well, go check your chat room first. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, just go look. He come back. He said, what happened to my bridles? We're going to drop one at a time in the ocean while we're fishing. If you don't come. He was there. So we get early the next morning. We got everybody in the car. We're going fishing. Ronnie, you got no choice. We still got his bridles yet. So we get in the car. We go fishing. We get down. We stop at the slicker store. Still dark as hell like four in the morning yet or two. We've got a good early morning to catch fish in the ocean. So anyway, we get this whiskey at this liquor store and we're having a drink in the car. Well, Ronnie's driving. Well, Harold Holler, he's the only sober one. He says, do a U-turn here. We got to go back. My cousin lives back there. We got to go get him and we're going to go to his boat. He's got a dock down there by in the ocean. So he says, so Ronnie does a right over the curb, right over the center divider thing. <laughs> Who's sitting on the corner? It's a cop. <laughs> he stops. Ronnie, 
he's really upset, and he talks to Ronnie a minute, and the cop looks at her ears, and they're going drinking whiskey. He says, oh, he said, I don't smell no whiskey. You sobered? Ronnie said, I am. But I tell you, these sons of bitches are. But John Hoyt's getting sick. So he just gets out and throws up right beside the cop. His false teeth fall out. down, digging in the puke, getting his teeth. And the cop says, are you going to drive these sons of bitches? And Ronnie said, they got no choice. And he says, well, lots of luck. I'll see you <laughs> He went and got in his car and left. The patrol got So we load John up. We go to the we go to the boat. Ronnie's scared to death of water, <laughs> completely. So I don't know. I guess he can swim, but he's pretty, he's pretty scared. So anyway, we're floating around. We catch Charlie the tuna. We get a tuna fish about that big by some luck. And Jack Denton, it's get around ten or eleven o'clock by now in the afternoon. And there's boats going all around. John. Denton takes all his clothes off and shimmies up this little <laughs> hole in the boat for a, that they could hook a sail to and waving to everybody. And they're waving back. They're as crazy as we are. So Harold says, well, we're all going in. Harold dives right in, swims around in his shorts, and, you know, so I dive in. We're swimming around. And John, he crawled. John can't swim tall either, so he crawls down the bottom. It's a little cabin cruiser thing. John crawls down in this son of a bitch and hides down there on the by the beds. He's hiding. Ronnie won't no way go in. So Harold says, "Okay." He's got a brand new watch and he sets it. And he says, "It's going to go off in five minutes. You better be in that water." Ronnie just looked at him. Oh, Jesus Christ. He says, you're going in. If I go in with you, I ain't letting you come up for five minutes. <laughs> he says, this alarm, you only got a minute to go. So Ronnie panics. i never seen it happen, but i seen it with my own eyes. He jumps in, down to his little white shorts, jumps in the water, and it, i tell you what, it, you had to have help to get back out of the water to get back in this boat. He hits the water and is standing back in that boat before he already got wet. <laughs> well, that made that Harold laugh like hell. He says, well, you got in the water. He says, but it was Ronnie's horrified by then because he says there's sharks and everything out there. <laughs> so now it's John's turn. He's got to go. Well, he won't come out. There's a little <laughs> hole. It's black in there. So Harold says, come here, John. I said, what? He's puts a freaking green water bucket over my head so John can't kick me in the mouth or the head and he shoves me in this little hole. I get John by the hand and we're pulling like we find he says all the hell with it. John's bright green by now. He's seasick as a <laughs> He comes out and he says, oh, I just as soon kill myself and he just falls in the water. He said the hell with it. <laughs> So we fish him out and get him up on the boat. And it was funnier. <laughs> <laughs> then we go home and we cook Charlie the tuna and, and Barbara, Daryl's wife, she's madder and a son of a bitch because we're all coming there drunk. And she says, I'm going to go to my dog trainer's house. She says, you son. Harold says, go ahead. He said, I don't give a shit. She says, yeah, and I like just like you, she's told him. Barbara's tough. Drank a little too herself. And she says, go ahead. He said, Jesus Christ. He says, two can't get on, one won't hurt it. And then she did get mad. <laughs> never seen her again. Honest to God, we were there a while. And she never did. I don't think she ever came back. <laughs> ever. 
<laughs> well, what was Harold married? Five, six times? Yeah, at least. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> You're a bunch of terrible people. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you were terrible. <laughs> but those were just, the life was just a buzz. I mean, just going constantly with, and like you say, how do you get horses broke? Hell, I don't know. My goal when I was growing up was to win Indio, Del Mar, and Santa Barbara, Sacramento, all those big, huge shows. And I finally won the Hackamore Stake and all of them. And uh, Imperial, those are all big shows, and they all went to hell. Now, I don't think there's very many American horse shows at all. But they were fun. They were big, a lot of fun. Everybody, Les Volk, Bobby, Ronnie, you know, of my age, uh, all were there. And Stan Fonson. I don't know if you guys knew Stan. Yes. Yeah. What a good hand. Now, there's one that could drink and raise hell and stay sober while mm. he's doing it. You know what I mean? He's just never lost his mind like we did. He mm -hmm. just was one that could do that. I had friends like you. That were crazy? Yeah, <laughs> lost their minds. <laughs> We'd tie them up and they could get untied. And Yeah, I had friends like that. I don't know how you, I did, well, I guess you didn't well, make it we, for the marriage Most deal. of the time, those were just excursions, just little crazy trips. But most of the time we stayed home and worked. Yeah, have, like I say, a little healthy distraction never hurt. But yeah. we trained horses in a different Except a marriage. <laughs> trained horses kind of on ranch, ranchy more situations and a lot of country to ride in. And hell, we'd get a lot of horses taught to figure eight just out around trees and up and down the hills and around, you know, and they were just a different horses stayed clearer in their head than little arena tricks. Right. Mm hmm. Like now, you know, take them out of the stall, ride the hell out of them, put them on the hot walker back in the stall. They never have ever learned to line out and go nowhere. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. And also back then with the Western lifestyle being so much more prevalent, Jim, you guys were more of rock stars than what we are now. In the general public, you were sponsored by some boot companies and pretty yeah. mainstream. Yeah. Then. Dan Post boots. Dan Post is, he was a Dan Post man. <laughs> no kidding. That yeah. was pretty good, made a few bucks, and they'd give me and my children all the boots you could wear. It was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing funny. We had a pair of skid boots, and if we did anything, it would be a polo wrap on their legs. But we didn't have no boots of any kind. Nobody had them. Don't use them ranching. They didn't use them showing, you know, right. stuff. Main chip just. Go. It, like a lot of them old guys said, if I <clears> put that on their front end, I'm getting a better horse. <laughs> One that don't step on itself. Right. <laughs> well, you didn't give, you know, 500000 for the stud, and then the mm. colt cost 50000 and you put boots on him. Right. <laughs> or you get him broke, good and want to sell him. He's right. got a big splint hanging there. Right. And the lady mm -hmm. says, oh, I can't do that. And walks off. Well, right. you got to take well, care. That's it. Yeah. I mean, we got the salt water cold spa up here. And we got Joe Carter <laughs> looking after every nook and cranny on the rascals. You know what I mean? Shoot fire. They're like pro athletes. I mean. Well, sure. 
and semi there's expensive yeah jesus christ it's a lot different mm -hmm. you get an old horse off that desert an old bronc you know sure they got some breeding of sorts but clabber and that a little different yeah frosty yeah. joe hancock and <laughs> them horses big bone and strong and didn't ride him till they were four mm -hmm. they're a lot different a lot different a lot more people are able to make a living at it now. Yeah. And I tell the kids, they say, well, I got a two-year-old, he bucks. And I, I scratch him <laughs> I think, he, when did I ever have a two-year-old that bucked? <laughs> I had some hop around. Right. Well, that's it. Well, he, he tried to buck me off. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had one try and buck you off or not, but that one wasn't trying. <laughs> you take the five, six-year-olds and ain't holler, bro, and paw the buttons off. Oh, shirt man. They're a lot different breed of cat. Uh -huh. Make you a little wary. When they bucked, it was some serious. But, yeah. but that's different, and I'm glad that you don't have to fool it. I'm glad my kids didn't have to fool with them kind of horses. They're just different. Mm -hmm. All you had. You rode them or you walked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was that simple. So talk a little bit about when you guys decided to start the Snaffle Biff Turdy. Was that in 68? Yeah, or might have been a little earlier than that. Because I know we had the Arizona Professional Horsemen's Association, which was a cartoon, but to us it was pretty special. And uh, the first year John Hoyt was president and I was president of it and then a couple other guys were and uh, so Bobby called and he wanted the different associations to, that rode rope horses, cow horses, cutting horses, all that stuff. He said uh, to come to Sacramento, that Sacramento Inn, discuss a snaffle bit. It hadn't even started yet. So John Hoyt and I and Jack Dent, we got in pick up and drove to Sacramento and uh, that was the first one I mean a meeting about it and we were thinking boy a three year old how much hell are you gonna have to pound on that little bastard when he's two to show him when he's three you know and we were thinking Bobby said well it's not a big pressure deal it's just how smooth and how good you can get him Bobby was always the smoothie so he was talking about that and uh, we thought well that sounds good you know and then the first one was outside of Reno and then Santa Rosa and then Dwayne built the, in fact several were at Santa Rosa, but they built the Coliseum there at <coughs> Reno now and uh, Dwayne got the, uh, what the hell were they called, it was the gambling casinos the, casino people i mean was the, what did they call those, besides mafia, but they called them something else, uh, but it was, it was casino money. Mm-hmm. So, Bookies? John Swaga, Swaga at uh, Horseshoe. Esquaga. Yeah. And, uh, the at the Horseshoe. Yeah, and the Nugget. And uh, the El... Or the Nugget, yeah. El, what the hell they call it? El Rancho. And then there's two or three big casinos in they, in Reno themselves. They all put up the money. They thought it would be a good thing. And it was a good thing. What was his um, idea for having it? To get them in training longer? To well, what? basically, yeah, money. But the to have an event that they would do th three things. Cut, oh. Cut, drain, draining, and down mm. the fence. Mm. The three, and then have uh, a fraternity, enough money up, it would be, you could talk people into putting a horse in training for a year and a half or two, and uh, 
Because everything at that time was two events. Just oh, the, yeah. You just oh, did your dry pattern and your fence work. Yeah. Mm. We called it, you know, how's your dry work? That's what we called sure. it. And then we called it cow work, fence. And that was, that was it. So he decided that that would be fun. So everybody... So, but what's his theory for going with the younger, with the three-year-old? Well, we don't know. And he's a, he said if he ever would have started this again, it would have been four-year-olds. Uh-huh. See, England runs three-year-olds. Oh. America runs two-year-olds. And uh, their horses last longer and are better for it. But America's always been money-hungry, so they earlier, you know, they run them at two, but... The same as our snaffle bit horses. A lot, lot of them ranch horses, they'd ride them, you know, when maybe they would start a two-year-old, mostly three, ride them a year or two at the ranch, show them the last four or five years old, might show him three times, four times in the Hackamore. Then they'd put him in the two-rein, ride him another year at home or on the ranch, and then they would show him green and the bridle or the two-rein. And... Uh, maybe four or five times a year and then because they worked on ranches and stuff they weren't making a living training horses a few of them did but and then them horses would come back and uh, be open bridle horses the rest of their life mm-hmm. and they might last till they're 20 22 years old still showing good but they had that long process and not much showing in but i mean they weren't hauled like we do today yeah, it's hard hard to talk to the customers and leave that horse. Hey, don't worry, we're two years. We're gonna, we're going to show him two years. We we just showed him it's now a bit. And we'll show him two years later. Yeah, and I talked to a couple of once in a while. A blind tongue will decide maybe I could still ride a horse. So they say, I would like you to put this horse in the bridle for me. Uh, I've got him started good, which is the first mistake. <laughs> and then you say, Well, okay, I've been riding him a year at home. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, then we want you to put him in the bridle and we can bring him over there. How long will you need him? And I say, a year. They say, well, oh, uh, let us think about it. Click. They're not talking to you. <laughs> they don't know it takes that long. You know? Yeah. They just, and they're not buying it. <laughs> mm. So a thousand a month, that's a lot of money for a So lot. they just don't. Do you see anything other than maybe getting hauled down the road that, the snaffle bit has been a little detriment to the bridle horses that we're making. And is there a detriment to the bridle horses? I mean, from the look of this bridle class the other night, pretty salty little deal. I don't think it's a detriment. I think it's finances. I think it's money. I think, you, you t- like you just said, you take a customer. It's a good customer with a little money even. Uh, you know, he might own software and a bunch, you know, make wealthy people. and But still, they're wealthy because they can think and pouring money down a rat hole year after year is not there like cutting is in a little bit of a jackpot right now and a lot of the local cuttings and stuff are smaller than they've ever been because the entry fee is four five hundred and you might win four hundred right i mean don't make sense right so i think it's leaving a horse long enough to get broke good especially if you show him like here, you show him in the snaffle pit, come back to the derby, you might go to the stallion stakes. That person has spent a few bucks. Mm-hmm. What, 15000 more? Oh, yeah. I meant just enter fees in Holland. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, plus the training. Right. And yeah, we figured it probably cost, nah, it probably cost about 
50, right around 50 to get the snaffle bit after you buy your horse. It's kind of what we figured out. Yeah. So it's to a lot of people that love it and want to do it, it's not lucrative for them. I mean, a lot of them can't afford it even today. And uh, I know the Southern California Cutting Horse Association, say, just use them for an example, they just went broke because who in the hell could afford to go to a little weekend cutting, spend $400 an entry fee, and you win three. Mm-hmm. You go to a quarter horse show, that's where Benny tricked them a little bit. You just go to the quarter horse show, the entry fee 60 bucks. you get to show your cow horse and go home. Don't sure, win. you don't win no money, well, but you had a hell of a good time, and yep. it didn't cost you seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, or a thousand. Benny did told me too. That's another one of the five men things is hey, you tell them this is not to make money. This is like having a boat and going and having a nice day. That's it. Don't if you tell them hey, buy this horse and you'll make all kinds of money. You ain't First gonna have mistake you can make. the worst. Tell yeah, the worst you can make. This is not. A, this isn't a business. Yeah. This is a pastime. <laughs> and it seems expensive, but I'm. A, but I mean, what's it cost to be a member of a country club? Well, the green, <laughs> the green fee right here is in the winter times, uh, five hundred, four hundred to go play golf one day. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can spend a couple hundred so, thousand I mean, a year golfing. No, it's what you enjoy doing. Yep. And I tell them the same thing: if you don't enjoy this, forget any dollar signs. Whether it's coming to you or going out of your pocket, just forget it. Because if you don't enjoy it. Don't do it. Go do something else. Yep. And the, and then also, too, when we're talking about 50000 to get one that's now but fraternity, that's kind of trying to shoot the top end. If they want to go at a lower level, they can go with their own horse and level one it, and then it gets yep. pretty cheap. Sure. And the ULC guys fight their way up from there, up into that open and fight their way up. But at the top end, it's, it's expensive. It's expensive to buy these. Go buy that horse that you think can make the open finals. The guy that has him doesn't want to just turn him loose for free. You know, and now mares are worth money and, and old show horses are worth money now. Good ones. Good bridal horses are oh, worth money. So. Bridal horses are hard to come by. You know, and if even the ones say, that got them don't want to turn loose them. It's pretty hard to find one. Yeah. yeah. It's not a it's not an easy deal. I know we've got a couple of horses. They're average. I'll guarantee you they're average, and they turned down twenty thousand for them. I said, two fools just met." <laughs> <laughs> that should you know? be the name of our podcast. <laughs> 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 but it's. I'm glad we're in it. I'm glad it's doing good. It's actually the entries are up out of sight. And, out of sight. And. Uh, it's good to people enjoying it and they have fun and that's what it ought to be. Did you yeah. ever dream we'd be around here and watch 150 horses compete in an air-conditioned arena? Oh, Never. And the cows in the re- over there in the practice pens air-conditioned. Yeah. Uh-huh. The warm-up pens and two, air-conditioned. two warm-up pens yeah. or two full-size side-by-side pens air-conditioned yeah. and you circling one and plus run a, down there. Plus the a prep area plus a practice pen. Uh, it's they said next year they're going to do something over here different practice something or other but they're going to try to put cutting pens over here in the, in the other arenas the new huh. just in one of them still have a hell of a big practice a warm-up ring wow. and then that outside one the one that's not yeah. scalding hot it's that's dang nice yeah shade. really nice you know, got a top on it the yeah. ground's fair 
Good. Yeah. So it's hell. I mean, they got a facility here. If Scottsdale don't get the prices where you can't come and play. Oh man, everybody's loving it here. Yeah, no, they're loving it here. It is fun to be here. And even what been a hundred, hundred and five this week, and yeah, not unbearable at all. It was a hundred and ten one day in the shade. If it's you been can hide, fine. and it, you can, you can get, get away from it here. You, you yeah. can make it. Yeah, yeah. Things are good here. Yeah, I don't. You don't want to stand out there. But I don't know. Not Debbie Sanguinetti said they're trying to build something in Tulare, that big farm place. Oh yeah. This. That foam dome farm equipment yeah. yeah whatever it is they're trying yeah. to make a horse outfit out of it right now they've put some they've been we did some shows there for a while and they've put some effort in and if they keep going she said they're put they're going to break ground on a equidome or something deal. she said they're going to try to get this derby there well i don't know if they will i don't know why you i mean shoot far there'd be the only people in california trying to the horse industry seems like. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, they want rid of a livestock, California. Yep, that's period. what I mean. Yeah, like, they're the pits. Three things: farming, horse, livestock, horses, cows. No matter what, and guns. They yeah, want them out of there. Get out. <laughs> you can't take guns away from a crook. No, no, no way in the world. Mm-mm. So, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. We, Ronnie and I and Bobby, we laugh about it. When we were raised in the very best part of the horse world with all them old timers and them old drunks and their spade bit horses and hackamore horses and we were just raised in a good time the stalls were cheap the horse shows were cheap and the gas was cheap everything horse cost five thousand he's a dirty good mother and uh, today's it's young, a lot different young people have to work hard. you know and people expect more now uh progress has made it where just having beans potato and a roof isn't is, isn't enough so we're always trying for the new cars and the new stuff and it makes everything more expensive and look at the videos and the televisions and stuff educate people yep i mean yep. they're all there it is it's can't trick them what would you say is the biggest improvement you see in the industry in our industry mm-hmm. in the cow horse I would say, actually, for me, I just think about I never thought about that much, but I would say the ability of young trainers getting their horses broke pretty good to show, which is an indication of it right here. Yeah. Uh, and the breeding and the promotion of stud horses and breeding and young horses, I would say, to me, that's what's made it as good. Without those kind of horses and breeding facilities and raising those kind of horses, we wouldn't have these good horses. Mm-hmm. We would have hardtack and clabber and driftwoods, and it would weed out a lot of horse trainers. <laughs> <laughs> it would. I mean, yes, I it, for sure. First thing you had to be is about half ignorant. You had to be a bronc rider, and you had to be want to do it so bad you couldn't stand it. Yeah. And they were different kind of animals. Today, I think what's made the industry so good is the availability of good shows like this. Don't you think? Oh, for sure. And the ability to, a lot of people can afford a pretty good horse. He may not Mm -hmm. be the top of the line, but he'll be better than them old ones. Good horse. A good horse that they can take home and get along with good. Yeah. Be happy with. And I think that's what keeps this business going. And uh, I've got a few of them that whine about this and that, you know, the finances, and they can't afford this horse or that. Well, hell, who can? You know, you get lucky. Mm-hmm. 
I bought Skeeto for 35000 and people thought I was nuts. But I sold him for 250000 several years back. <laughs> but because uh, he was just a freak. And sure. uh, look at that Bob. That horse Demish had so much luck with old mm -hmm. Bob. You know, we gave 7500 7, for him. And he said, this horse, I can't work him on a cow. I drive him to a cow, and he wants to lay down. He jumps over there, and he can't do this. And he said, I hate the little son of a gun. He's, Bob's head is the same size as it is now. It was when he was two. <laughs> <laughs> so Dima sees him, and she says, uh, I don't even want to ride him. So, and then the old Wes Sutton, he it makes a stand there, and it was, it's foggy. It's cold as hell. Early in the morning, he's got about eight of them tied to Railroad ties, little humped up, little froze little bastards. He's wanting to work them all. So <laughs> finally, Bob's on the last railroad tie stand down there, all humped up, and he's working these horses. And mm. We were watching. Dean says, I'm going to the truck. I'm froze. I said, well, no, you're not. You can't embarrass your, your people are trying to be nice to us and show us these horses. You just toughen up. <laughs> so she does she stands there so finally the last horse he works he tells this kid's working for him to go get bob Dima says that's bob we've been standing near all she thinks he's in the stall all brushed up or something <laughs> this time it's standing there he goes and gets bob and leaves him with the pen she gets in the pickup i gotta go get her by the hand and say don't embarrass me in front of my friends you've got to at least look at this horse for one or two minutes Oh, she's pissed. So she goes and she watches. Well, he gets on him, lopes him around him, and steps to that cow. And this little mother just gets down and shakes and busts his ass over there. And he bumps him, and he just sits down like a little dog, and he runs over there. Dima watches. Her eyes get big. She says, hey, Wes, I'll get on. <laughs> so she gets on, rides him around. She says, I have never rode a horse that felt like this in my life. I said, good, because I like what I saw. And she says, well, he wants 7500 for him. And I says, well, she's bred good night out of it. And I said, uh, she says, offer him 5000 And she goes and gets pissed and gets in the truck. <laughs> so I just go get the checkbook, write him one for 7500 <laughs> 7500 And I said, give me that horse. So... She has to go home and get the trailer because we didn't even bring a trailer. So she said, well, what did you, you finally got him for five, didn't you? And I says, not really. <laughs> I scared to tell her for sure what I did. So we get, go get the trailer, come home. We take him to the ranch, Jimmy and um, Sean Grant and all the ropers. And everybody's around there. We unload him out of the trailer and Jimmy says, where in the hell did you get that thing? <laughs> I says, whoa, Wes Sutton. He said, well, Bob Aker Doc. Bob Aker Doc was the mama. And he says, that's another story. That's the meanest little bastard you ever saw, Bob Aker Doc. But a pretty little mother. He was little. I said, well, he'd be all right. Next morning, Dima gets on, lopes him around, drives a cow off, and then their eyes got big. Then. <laughs> and that horse never had training or his ass kicked all the years she showed him. He just was a freak that way that ever come. And she'd ride out of the arena. You know, she went up a dirty on this thing and that thing. But she'd ride him out. She'd say, boy, this is the greatest horse I ever rode. And I said, you ain't never had a great horse. I said, that's just a good horse. <laughs> that's just a good horse. Well, <laughs> she's happy. 
Well, finally, when she showed Bob and rode out, I said, now you've done it. You've finally got a great horse. And he was. That's mm-hmm. outstanding. He was. So, and th- those are freaks. Guys got to have them. That's what makes a horse trainer. It gives you incentive to keep trying. You think, maybe God will give me one more freak. <laughs> one more freak. <laughs> well, that's you had the- one. I had one, and I'll just keep riding, looking for another one, even Me if it too. don't come. I keep telling Dean, but boy, if I could find one more mosquito. Yeah. Yeah. I'd uh, take another traveling Chris Jones. Had one, yeah. Yeah, no shit. Wouldn't that be fun? They'd keep you forever. Yeah. Sure enough. Um, what? So when did you start making bits? Oh, forever. I was too poor to buy one. Hell, I started, <laughs> my dad, like I told you, was a metallurgyman and a welder. So if we had, he had well, if you'd have been, shop, if you'd have been a better husband, you could have afforded some <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just saved a little. I just got, you know, as a hobby, you know. So, and then I could never do. John Hoyt. One year we were at the uh, Wrigley's Castle big party thing at the Corridor Steel. And so we were there, and they had all this silver teacups and stuff for giving all these fuddy-duddy bastards stuff to drink tea out of. John and I looking at John said, boy, this top of this teacup here, that'd make a pretty bridal. I mean, a concho one is it? well, good, there's four or five of them, let's get a couple. So <laughs> we ended up taking, oh, I don't know, half a dozen silver cups things they had there, and they were just short a few when they gathered their teacups up, but we put them on bridles, and it was funny as hell. I don't know where them bridles went, but I don't we just know. started making stuff because we didn't have no money. We couldn't afford a Nabby Hunt. Hell, Nabby Hunt cost 200 bucks. Which was a lot of money then. Oh. Yeah. And, and my favorite spade that I have, he made, that the one you made with the little um, uh, the little spoon on it. I love that spade. That I had rummy pony spade. Man, that is every horse I put that thing on loves it. You know, and that Grateris was a great bit maker in the 1800s and early 1900s, and they had a shop in San Francisco on Market Street, and. Uh, that's where they made harness and all. See, sac- where the sacro. I can't San speak Francisco. English. San Francisco Airport was a feedlot. Mm. That's where Don Dodge came from Iowa. He was a cow buyer for armor. He came. They sent him out there to that feedlot, and then he mm. bought and bought cattle all over northern central California. And mm. that's where he met Maginny. He went there to buy some cattle from Maginny, and he said. Well, we got to go up in them hills. Said we can't drive, so you ride so and so. And Don was in the, when he went to college, he was in the ROTC Calvary and all that shit. So he all, and his dad was a horseman. So he, he'd been around horses, but he'd never been around a spade bit horse or a broke one. And he, so Don rode that horse up in the mountains and got the feeling for him. And so he went back a couple of days later. Said, Let me borrow that horse again. I got. I want to go look at the cattle here and there. And he he got hooked. That hooked him. And Majeni says, "Well, you got a pretty good feel with that spade. You haven't ripped his lips off yet." He said, "You're riding him pretty good." And uh, that's when he started. I'll be darned. So he then he wanted to be a Majeni tried to help him. Some wanted to be a horse trainer. That's where he bought Mona Lisa. But Jenny was coming down off a mountain. Don went to look at him, and uh, he had just opened him a little training stable in Merced. 
Don did. Uh-huh. And he come down off of that mountain, and that mare went to buck, and Jenny could ride him, but ride her, but she was this waspy little, no papers on her, Mona Lisa. So I finally got it, her pulled around and got her up against the side of the bobtail truck that come down there in, and he got off of her, and he, Don said there's a grasshopper about that big stuck in her flank and hanging on there and she was pissed. <laughs> and uh, so that didn't scare him about her being crazy, so he bought her and uh, never could clip her or nothing. When he sold her to Ronnie, she had never had a pair of clippers on her and Ronnie just drugged her and clipped her, but Don never drugged her. But uh, Barbara almost run Don off then. She, she, Don had her in the barn. Barbara clipping these jumping horses to go to a show. She's down here in a stall. They turned them clippers on. She tore the stall on and left. And, and broke Barbara's new clippers. All that pissed her off. Then people didn't have much money. And that really pissed her So I forget who told him. George Tyler, maybe, there in Gainesville. He, she, he said, take your little candle and just burn them whiskers off there. You can just real carefully sit and it won't make no noise or nothing. Well, she took about two seconds of that. <laughs> they never did clip her. So. But she won. She was one of the greatest cow horses ever. Mm. Man, it was funny. It, 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 a lot of those horses were quirky. Had little funny things, you know, about them. <laughs> kind of like the trainers. Yeah, no, <laughs> just a little like the trainers. <laughs> oh, that Don was a piece of work. He lived with us nine years. He's <sighs> Did you ever? There's a young fella. He's George Texera. He was uh, Portuguese. And one hell of a good horse trainer. He trained Pink Pony and a bunch of good horses Albert ended up buying, but he was a good hand. And uh, Al Dunning. George, he's at my house. George finally got drunk and his wife run him off. And this typical horse trainer thing. So we're in Paso Robles on Gobbler's Knob, the house, the place we built on this hill. And uh, everybody was there. Gary Belafonte and lived there and uh, Don, George. So they, the Demas tunnel. And if I go down there, she'll tell me to shut up. So I say, well, um, I so anyhow, I forgot what I was. Talking there, everybody's about. there. Belafonte and oh yeah, so we're at supper, and they were all eating at the table. Betsy's cooking. She was a good cook, and she put up with our drunken ass. And so <laughs> we're sitting there, and Don don't like George. I don't know why. He just decided he didn't like George, and George is harmless as hell. So they were talking this is about George, this George Tyler? Texera. Oh, Texera. Yeah. So Texera. they're sitting, and Don. He gets really mad. He said, well, I'll just cut your belt buckle off and skin you, he said. And he reaches in his pocket to get his pocket knife, and I'm sitting there, and I think, well, he's drunk enough. So I just run over and grab Don by, by, the, by the hand and jerk it out of his pocket and grab him around the neck, and I hang on to him, and I said, now, can you be nice? Oh, that pissed him off. But I couldn't get away. I had him pretty good, man. So... It's pretty exciting, and the kids' eyes were this big. We're all sitting around the table. So he sat there a few more minutes. Pretty soon he just scooted the chair guy, and he left. So we're at the cutting pen the next morning, five. Got the cattle up, and here he comes walking, like he does, you know, his hat cocked over to us. Well, I guess I'll leave. I said, where in the hell are you going at this hour? we got a lot of horses to ride. He says, well, he says, 
that last night wasn't very good. He says, and I, I just, I think I just better leave. I said, well, Don, we all love you. You just made an ass out of yourself, and I wasn't going to let you kill my friend. So forget it. Get your horse. Let's go to work. He looked at me a minute, turned around, got his horse, and he stayed there another few years. <laughs> he was that kind of stupid stuff, you know. George, his eyes were like that. <laughs> I go in Don's house one morning for coffee. It's like five. And I'm sitting there, and he's staggering around making the coffee. And I look on a hat rack right above his by his door, and his hat looks like somebody had danced on it. His straw hat is terrible shape. And I said, "What in the hell?" And he meticulous as hell about his hats and clothing. I said, "What the hell did you do to your hat?" He looks at it and he says, "He said he rubs." He said, "I got a bump there." I said, oh, "Yeah, you do." He says, "So let's go." He said. We get in his pickup and back out, and down the hill we go and hit the road and go around the Hog Canyon. It was a pretty crooked little road till you got to the river. And up on this big bank, it's all um, wild oats, you know, and it'd been dry, but there's big tire marks all the way up this bank and then all the way down. <laughs> and it had bent his bumper. His bumper was bent back on it. And he'd come down that bumper, hit like that. When it did, drove that front end that just bent it back against the tire a little bit. And he's, his head went right up into the top of that truck and just knocked the shit out of his hat. <laughs> he said, "That's there's the marks. He said, that's where I went. He said, I just, now it's coming back to me. He said, I wonder if he'd have went on the other side, he'd have went way down that canyon. I said, well, you dumb old bastard. <laughs> And then he rubbed his head. He had to go buy a new hat. And he said, and then he'd come by there. He said, look at them marks up there. Up on the tire tracks up through that. <laughs> oh, Lord. But that's what whiskey will get you all that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah it's hard to live through. It's just good stories at the end. <laughs> it's hard. It, you know, that's how I can't, you know, soon talk to a lot of them old drunks at those meetings, you know, and you stop and think and try to think of what good one, a drink did you. And I, you look back and you think, well, I can't think of anything beneficial out no. of it. Other than, you know, a lot of fun maybe or something. Yeah. Just don't do you much good. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but stories at the end, but they're, they're, not, they're a lot funner to look back on than they are to get through. Oh, no shit. And there's a lot, there's times when you don't. Hey, Jim, we cannot thank you enough oh, for coming. You. Well, and I don't we're know. I know you can't again. use none of this, but it was fun. You're doing right. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, we're going to use some. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, I'll tell you a story about Benny and I one year at Reno. We got drunk yet, and everybody took our keys. <laughs> yeah, and. I mean, we were afoot, and we were at the Coliseum, so we got to go across two freeways over to the, uh, what was Holiday Inn thing yep. down there. The big pasture out there, so hell, we'll walk. Screw them. We're tagging around. We crawl through the fences and get across the, how we got across the freeways and I got killed. I don't know. But we made it until we get out in this pasture, and we can see Holiday Inn over there. It ain't very far. 50 acres maybe or something 
we were walking along. Benny says, feet, boots are wet. I said, yeah, mine too. We were walking along pretty soon. It's over our boots, and we're still walking. Pretty soon, it's crotch high in water. We're irrigating this whole son of a bitch. So we're walking along, and we're almost, we see the lights, too late to turn around. So we don't know it along that fence is the main ditch. So we get there now we're walking up to here and we get the fence and we crawl through there and it's like one thirty two in the morning. So we get there, of course the doors are locked. There's a little girl sitting back there at the desk. We beat on that door and she comes, she sees us standing there just dripping ass wet. She won't let us in. <laughs> so Benny's telling me, well, call my room so and so they'll let us in. She ain't gonna let us in. <laughs> So finally, we go to Dorinda calling, and Demas said, yeah, let them in. <laughs> they let us in, but she wasn't going to let us in. She thought, boy, those derelict, drunk-looking, crazy guys. <laughs> we were soaking ass wet walking across the <laughs> Wonder we made it. It's a wonder. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cow Horse, Full Contact. Please like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.